Hello and welcome to the Fencing Podcast, I'm Gavin. And I'm Sean. And this is episode 58. Yep, clock uh, the numbers. Yeah, we're, we're also deep into the Olympic qualification trenches, that's what it feels like. <laughs> it's where we've, we've dug in and we're, we're here to the finish. Yeah, so we've got an absolute ton of things to talk about. Um, because it's all foil and epi, there's not really much point in keep wasting your time chatting to us about that. Well, no point mixing with us saber peasants. <laughs> so. She's got better things to do. She's got people to whack on the head. So it's just the two of us tonight. Yep. Kate gets a night off. Yes. I think we're going to start just first of all, our usual um, thanks to Liam Paul for sponsoring the podcast. Yep. Our lovely sponsors mm-hmm. keeping, keeping us afloat and uh, teaming up with our, our Patreon supporters as well. Thank you very much to, to them. If, yep. you're, if you enjoy the podcast, please mm-hmm. feel free to join them. Link is always in the bottom of the show notes. Click on it, sign yourselves up for uh, contributing a little bit to, to make our lives just a little bit easier. A cup of coffee a month, basically, would be lovely. Yeah, well, I like coffee. So do I, but the expensive stuff. All oh, right, okay, so things like hosting <laughs> and recording equipment and good competitions and stuff like yeah, that, which, that's uh, right. which make the podcast possible. Yeah. yeah, indeed, indeed. We've got quite a busy show. The, the, the first thing that we have on our... And our agenda is uh, something we haven't talked about in a while, uh, but uh, it's, uh, we're going to talk about commentary. It's it's time for a rant. I need to I need to get it off my chest okay. because we've had a few competitions that we've we're, we're going to be talking about later on, yeah. and uh, uh, a recurring feature in in these events has been some properly terrible commentary. Yeah, it's been. It feels like we've gone back to the bad old days. It's <laughs> very much so. Yeah. yeah. Shall shall we um, name and shame? Yeah, we're we're going to have to because there's, yeah. there's no kind of. Talking around it, yeah. Uh, David King, yep. FIE regular mm-hmm. in the in the commentary box, yeah. Uh, uh, did the commentary at the Doha Epi Grand Prix that's and right. uh, Turin Foil, and uh, had a had a new partner in crime, yeah. In, in Bruce Dickinson, uh, a name which if you're if you're into your heavy metal will be very familiar to her, to you, lead singer of uh, Iron Maiden, and uh, I would say a former fencer. I mean, he was a uh, he was active when I was a when I was a youth. Um, I've actually spoke to Bruce. Uh, he's not somebody that I claim to know. But I've spoke to him at tournaments mm-hmm. just in passing because he was at towards the end when I was just finishing up fencing. He came back to do a bit of epi, so I've actually seen him on the piste. Oh, that's right, I'd forgotten about that. Yeah, yeah he's actually I've actually seen him on the piste as an epiist. Yeah, you know, he's he's actually a half decent fencer. Mm. Had to endure. <laughs> two tournaments yeah I mean it, it was really bad I, and I've, I've been thinking about this because you know you had a bit of a rant on, on Facebook which I heartily joined in with yeah uh, so I had a bit of a think about that afterwards the kind of qualities that I would like to see in, in commentary what makes good commentary for me because yeah because if an event has good commentary then it actually enhances what you're watching it tells you stuff it gives you a bit of insight into what's mm-hmm. going on mm-hmm. it, it it adds to the event Whereas yeah. bad commentary is just an irritating distraction. Yeah. And I feel like that's what we've we've had with this. So I've written this down because uh, I wanted to get it right. So uh, commentary qual- commentators are qualities that I look for. You want them to be knowledgeable. Okay. So they actually understand the sport. They know what's going on. They know who the people are. And Yeah, it's a highly technical sport. It's important. Yeah. So it's important to have that. Okay. Yeah. But they're informative. They actually pass on the knowledge. Yeah. They have, they're able to provide uh, useful information, mm-hmm. stats, you know. So you can introduce offences with a certain amount of confidence about what their records are like, what their, what their style is. And if they don't know the fencers, they can pick it up pretty quickly on what, what you're looking at and provide some sort of explanation. 
um, and and a bit of their history as well. So I you know I do like to know stuff that Fencer X has won half a dozen Grand Prix and ten World Cups, yeah. World Championship medalists. They've beat yeah. a couple of Olympics yeah. and all that sort of thing. Um, because it gives you a bit of background, a bit of bit of context for the fencer rather That's than right. just here's what you see on the piste. Um, um, to be able to analyse what's going on, so we'll be able to walk, to call the shots effectively. Mm-hmm. They can explain the, the technique, come up with the right name for them, and offer a sort of insight yeah. into the sort of tactics of the the fight and how it changes and uh, you know how fencers adjust. I agree, but do you know what? As long as they're smart about it, I'm, I'm not, I don't like some people get really hung up on terminology. Mm-hmm. As long as they can, they can, they, they, they understand what they see and can communicate it in a knowledgeable fashion. I can live with them not getting the technology, the, the, the technique ter- and terminology right. Mm-hmm. I can actually, as long as they, as long as they get essentially what's going on in front of them right and have something intelligent to say about it. Yeah. I'd all for with, it. I'd agree with you there. Yeah. yeah absolutely. Okay. And the fourth quality, and this is not absolutely compulsory, mm-hmm. is to be, Moderately entertaining. Doesn't have to be all the time, and I'm not asking for uh, a gag every ten seconds, but a bit of personality about the about the thing. Sure. So those, those were my sort of four main ones, and and you don't have to. Your ideal commentator might be able to do all of those things, mm-hmm. but you need need to at least have two or three of those, of course. Um, yeah. And if you're working in a with a pair of commentators, mm-hmm. then you can get away with, you know. One having a couple and, yeah. and the other providing the other two. And, and I think another thing I'd like to throw in is just a sort of sense of professionalism. That would be nice, yeah. You know, um, that there's no mucking around or shenanigans going on. Uh, I think that's another one that I quite like in okay. people that sit behind a mic. Okay. So, shall we just talk about how bad it was? <laughs> well, yeah, go on then, let's. I, I tuned in to watch the finals of Doha. So I didn't actually know who I was listening to. I knew one of the people speaking was was Dave King, but I didn't have any idea who the second person was. Mm-hmm. And um, and I sat on the couch next to my partner and just swore and swore and swore because all I could hear was an array of whoops and oohs and I don't know, Woo-hoo. strange, just strange, strange comments on what was going on in front of him, you mm. know. Maybe I was being told that I'd just, just seen a, some sort of preem. And for those who don't know, that's like the the high hand position in front of the face, if you, if you want to put it that <laughs> so, way. Yeah. So it's a good one, good, good, good one for radio. Uh, uh, and then when I was watching it, I was like, no, I'm sure that was a stop hit. Uh, and it, sure enough, on the replay, it's a stop hit. Uh, and just kind of, just an array of weird, weird over-the-top stuff as well. Um, and it was just infuriating, adding nothing to it. I, I, like a soldier, I, I just, I just, you know, did what, did what a good soldier does. And I just sat, sat through it all and endured, but it was a, a, a struggle, real struggle. Yep. Yeah. It was hard going. It was hard going. Dave was, was silent. I, I'd rather not listen to Dave King not saying anything. <laughs> it's his, uh, yeah, it's his 40. Yeah. I, I was, I was, uh, anyway. So Doha was, was particularly bad, I thought. And then uh, one of the things that, because I know I've made this mistake myself, is if you're going to get people's names wrong, mm. right, right, just stop getting people's names wrong. Don't don't kind of double down on it all the time. Mm. Just just as soon as someone brings it to your attention, I think it's a good idea to stop right then. You know, just in that professionalism note, maybe check beforehand if you're not sure. You know, I spent, we spent in Japan in particular, we spent ages before every round checking whether or not we knew the names of everybody that was coming on to the piste. 
that's what I tend to do, but we've done it in Paris. I've tried to check. You know, not perfect. Yeah. I have got it wrong. Yeah, I, see that well, right. I, I will face up to that. I think yeah. that's, that's still most, my most embarrassing commentary moment in, uh, at the SNCF Rousseau last year, where the, uh, French EPI team, which we saw a lot of, obviously, because we're commentating, commentating on a, on a French live stream, mm-hmm. uh, had, well, actually, I was going to say their fourth fencer, but actually, fencer in a, yeah. in a lot of the matches was, uh, Canon. Canon, yep. And we discussed this before the start of the day. Yep. How do we pronounce this guy's surname? Because I'd seen it in writing a few times mm-hmm. and I, I was convinced it was Canone. So yep. the E was pronounced. And I, I duly called him that all day. Yep. Until I overheard the French commentator who was kind of 10 yards away from us mm-hmm. say Canon. And it was like that terrible yep. moment of realization that. Yeah, we dropped the ball on that one. And it's yep. fair, it's fair to admit your mistakes in that. But Bida, not a hard one to get. Don't call him Bidet. That seems pretty straightforward. Right. Yeah. Just don't do it, in my yeah. opinion. It just drove me up a wall. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, so it, should we talk about how bad? And then, and then Turin. Mm. Turin was so bad. I, I actually. Now, this is something I did talk about on Facebook uh, in my own private feed, but I like to hear fencing. I like to hear the sound of the blades and the footwork. So, yeah. I like to hear it, particularly in the right away weapons, because I think it helps understand exactly what you're seeing. But I had to mute it. I couldn't stand it any longer. I just switched it off. Yeah. Um, I watched a lot of that live. And for most of the day, I was switching between pieces. So following stuff with no commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, but obviously for the finals, you've, you've got commentary whether you want it or not. Yeah. And that's really when I became kind of painfully aware of how, how bad it was. I, was I, mean, I know we've ranted about David King in the past, but, um, he wasn't. He wasn't helped out by by Bruce Dickinson, I don't think. No, no, all. sorry. I mean, I'm so, a- when, so when I went, went back and I made my notes for for this recording, yeah. I had to mute it as well. It's un- unlistenable. It's actually unlistenable. And you know, I'm sorry, Dave, and I'm sorry, Bruce. Bruce, Bruce is a nice guy. I met him. I met him in real life, and no, please, no more of that. Yes. <laughs> um, yeah. So we'll see. So a repeal to the FIE is. You know, Please God no. Can, consider your consider your commentary options. Yeah. You know, or, or at least we, we are available. I'm available. Are you available? Uh, uh, pff, hey, look, you want me to go to Vancouver and ref, and uh, do some commentary in the Epi? They don't have any at the moment. Mm. Send me there and try me out on, on that. I'm quite happy to go. Yeah, I'd love to go to Turin. <laughs> Why not? Let's just do that. But but it was. Uh, I'm just going to say this right. Graham, Graham Bell. Right? Yeah, absolutely. He, Graham Bell Sport was what was it again? Skiing, skiing, skiing yeah. right? Yeah. What's that got to do with fencing? Absolutely nothing, nothing whatsoever. I think the only the only thing got in common is the term "piste." Yeah, right. <laughs> okay, okay. Graham Bell can call shots. Yeah, he can sound informative. He's clear. He's concise. Doesn't talk all the time. Um, certainly doesn't sit there making strange noises. Then the old mic at me and is uh, capable of getting names right. Yeah, and that's that's the mark. Those that's like, take all the boxes just about for a good uh, a good commentator. I'm going to say Kareem as well works hard. Yeah, absolutely. You know, all that kind of stuff. Uh, I mean, I, I know that Cream has worked pretty hard at his commentary. He's thorough in his preparation. Yeah, he he knows the fencers, and if he doesn't know them, he'll go and find out. Go right? and find out and do do his research properly. And uh, he, he turns up with these things, knowing his stuff. Whereas yeah. I always get get the feeling with David King, he's just uh, uh, he may have watched the same fencers, you know, a month or two beforehand. Seems to have no recollection of them whatsoever, and seems to have done no preparation whatsoever. It's just. I mean, it's kind of embarrassingly bad and unprofessional, and it's it should be embarrassingly bad for the FIE. 
if you've done this often enough, surely you pick it up. I, I just can't believe that Bruce hasn't had any media training. It doesn't sound like he's had any media training, but he's been in the limelight for 40 odd, 50 years, whatever it is. It's probably not 50 years, 40 years. 40 years at least, right? All my life, I've got, I've listened to Iron Maiden, I've seen them live. Mm-hmm. There's no way he couldn't have got through this, to this point in his life without having some kind of media training, right? Didn't sound like it on the on the mic to me. Just some random guy off the street. It was odd, yeah. strange, very bizarre. Anyway, yeah, shows that you know uh, an incredible stage presence doesn't translate well to uh, providing a, a technical no. sport commentary. No, it really isn't. And like having done this a couple of times now, I, I appreciate that it's not easy. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that, right? But you got to work at it. You've got to, you've just got to give it a shot. Anyway, I've, I've had my say. Okay, do we feel better for that? Do if we, if we got that off our chest? Listeners, I hope you're there for us. I could do with a hug. <laughs> I'm not giving you a hug, Gav. Let's talk about some actual fencing. Yeah, let, let, let's, let's talk about that. Yeah, so tell us about Doha. Right, so let's get all the action in from Qatar. Um, we'll do our usual sort of uh, spin through the, what are the early levers? So out in the, out in the 64, we have Manobi. Again, uh, yeah. you've broken him, Gav. I have broken him. He's not He's not been firing really recently, has he? Um, uh, Caro and yeah. uh, Lamar de Gascon. And, uh, oh, yeah, sorry, Pereira as well, out in the, out in the 64. Uh, out in the 32, we have uh, Nikishin, Heinzer, Hoyle. They're all out. Out in the 16, uh, Shikoshli, uh, Burrell, and uh, Riesland and Park, and that means that our last eight lineups are. So our first one was um, Sergey Bida uh, against how, Daniel Jerome. How do you pronounce that? Bida. I, I don't know. Maybe I'm still wrong on that. Uh, mm. uh, he defeated uh, Daniel fifteen eleven. Uh, our second one was uh, our current top Japanese uh, fencer Yamada up against Basil Wylan. Uh, uh, Yamada took that one fifteen ten. Uh, our third one was uh, uh, Bardney seems to be on a bit of a resurgence at the moment. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, up against an Italian, uh, uh, here we go, Bizzacchino, I think it is uh, from Italy. If anybody wants to tell me if I got that one right, that'd be sure great. They will. It's uh, David Nash of Hungary up against Andrea Santarelli. Fourteen all after time uh, with Santarelli that progressed. Oof, yeah, yeah, yeah. close one. Mm-hmm. Um, so if we just move on to our, our, our first semi-final for Doha. Our first one is uh, is it's Bida versus Yamada. Uh, so Yamada's not is a sort of offensive sort of emerged onto the scene fairly recently. He was kind of the second or third kind of guy. Yeah, in, in probably, Japan, probably the third behind uh, Minobi and Kano. I would say until I would have thought so. Yeah. Well, and then he won the the Asians and seems to have been on a roll since then. Yeah. A period one versus a first period against Bida. So Bida is the man of the hour at the moment. Current world number one seems to have won everything for. The last little while, uh, yeah. Either wins or goes very close. Yeah, he's, he's consistent, and uh, let's describe him as a, as a bit of a tank. He's, he's a big lad. I, I certainly wouldn't get his name wrong. And uh, <laughs> uh, but I've seen him because uh, I've seen him in real life. He seems like a, he seems like quite a pleasant guy, actually, from what I can tell. But the first period of this one is, is, is quite frantic. Yamada tries to take the game to be done. I felt it was a bit of a mistake. Hmm. Um, one thing, one thing that Bida does have is he's a left-hander as well, but he's he's solid in defence as well. So he can he, he can definitely block, he can actually just sort of block you out. And the problem here is that not only is he pretty solid in defence, but he's uh, his timing is absolutely spot on, and he dismantles Yamada in the first uh, in the first period eight three. Yeah, it's a bit it, Yeah, I mean it's 
the, the problem is is that um, if Yamada tries to go go direct, he, he just runs into a strong parry. If he tries to go indirect, um, Bida stop hits him. If he pauses to try and draw him out, Bida attacks him. So it's a fairly complete game that he's up against. Yeah, and doesn't it doesn't try to really do anything in the first period. Clearly, doesn't have an answer to it. And the second one. Yamada tries a different try, tries a different approach. Kind of, he does what I think I would have recommended, which is to maybe take a, go back but half a step further out, see if you can sell Bida what you were just doing, and get him to come out of his shell a little bit. Um, he scores a couple of times and it looks like it's kind of back on, but Bida just settles back and refuses to commit. Uh, and at this point, obviously, it's so far behind for Yamada, he can't even afford to lose a random uh, P-Red at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, and he just keeps going at him. Um, and the score just ticks along and the round finishes 13-7. The period three finishes over fairly quickly. Uh, Bida causes um, Yamada to, to fall short, which is quite, which is different. I haven't seen much of that. Mm-hmm. So Yamada actually goes for it and Bida just steps back quite quite nicely and lets him fall short and hits him with a really lovely flick. And that's basically puts him within one, uh, within, uh, one hit. Yamada managed to score another hit, but but he can't really do anything after that. And Bida finishes him off. It's a really nice pick and flick to rest. Nice. So it was, it was a really nice way to finish it off. It's a, it's a classy finish. So that's what f- it finishes uh, 15-8. Um, our second one is uh, Santarelli versus Bardney. Bardney is like all over Santarelli in the first period. Uh, some really, I think the thing about Bardney is his, uh, I don't know how you describe his style. It's not exactly classically French. But he, has, he is able to finish in in the opposite line to the one he starts off really well. And he, he's really good at the high-low and the low-high, basically. Yeah, there's that, kind of fluency about it. Yeah. yeah. So And he does lots and lots of... So if, if Santelli's not doing anything, Bardney's on him, he'll do a long attack. He'll set him up and go go in a different line. Um, if Santarelli tries to do something, then he's going he's gonna to be facing attacks in the prep and something like that. It's uh, Bardney leads at 1.92. And that's how sort of fundamentally he's taking Santarelli apart at that point in time. But uh, Santarelli gets his game together, uh, managed to score a couple of uh, reports right at the end, and uh, he ups his tempo a little bit, and it finishes uh, 9-6. In period two, Santarelli changes his game by quite a bit here and really pushes coming out of it. Bardney scores with... Uh, so one of the hits that he likes to do, if you watch him enough, is he... Uh, he does the hit run, so he gets in close and then hits behind his body, behind his, the back of his head. Mm, yeah. he scores with an absolute cracker uh, right at the start of the, of the second period. Um, Santelli thinks it's uh, there's Coro Coro or something, or maybe some interference, and calls for the the video at that time. Stands around for quite a bit. I don't I don't know what the discussion was, but uh, the hit stands anyway. Yeah, I mean uh, these days, I mean particularly in Epi, uh, to have the hit and all for. Contact or core or core, you basically can knock the other guy over. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's a we'll talk about Barcelona there, but there's a hit in, Bar- in Barcelona. I was like, that's core or core. Why is that hit standing? But anyway, fair enough. You know, we can take we can take the odd uh, guard punch to the face. I think uh, it's a man's game. Even it's a man's the, game. even the women's even the women's game. It's a yeah. man's game. Yeah. Sometimes it can, it's worse for them. Anyway, never mind. Um, uh, but the the, pro- the problem is that that little pause settles Bardney back down because it's getting quite close. It's like ten eight. Yeah. Round about this point, and it settles Bardney back down again, and then Bardney just trots back to his previous game, and it finishes off fifteen ten. Um, yeah, so it's, it was an impressive. It's actually a really impressive uh, trot out from from Bardney. Uh, so in the final, in the final, it's all about Bida. It's all about Bida's strength, um, his hand speed, and his distance. Uh, Bardney kind of struggling to get his point in fast enough. So the problem, so Bardney, so if you like his signature, we just talked about the signature is his ability to to really put his opponent under pressure on their prep or to launch these long attacks and finish in different lines. Mm-hmm. 
but he's not able to catch Bida. Bida's just on it. Just as soon as he sees him prepping for it, Bida's skipping back at a distance. Uh, and he's quite capable of provoking Bardney to commit when he's not ready. Yeah. Um, so he opens up a really sort of a commanding lead at 6-2. And there was, at that point, I was thinking, it's looking pretty bad for Bardney, but the actual peed finishes 11-4 to Bida. So it's, a, it's yeah. looking like we're on for a, an absolute spanking. Yeah, and, it, looked, uh, it looked bad. And then it got a whole load worse. Yeah, pretty much because uh, Bardney tries to change his game, even though he's really far down and being more patient. Uh, like clock's against him at this point uh, but Bida just goes out to him and it doesn't work does score a, an- another couple of hits but it finishes 15-6 yeah it's a, it's a pasting it's a pasting yeah at that level you shouldn't be getting defeated quite so badly in a final like that but it's a pasting it does, it does suggest that you've got your tactics pretty badly wrong and oh you, definitely you've, you've misjudged something quite horribly and uh, that's certainly how it sounds yeah I mean we're going to come back to Bida later but um, the question is I think a lot of people must be asking because he's on a roll at the moment is hmm. Sabida's so left-handed and he's strong, very, very strong. But he's also got quite good technique. It's not the one of people who relies on being strong. That's not his game. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he's, he's got, he's very capable with distance and he's very capable uh, with his hand. He's got lots of great technique and he's able to manu. He's quite creative. So he's able to manufacture and adapt. Yeah. So it's like, how do you, how do you defeat them? Well, we'll talk about that. <laughs> we will talk about that one. <laughs> yeah, a little later. Yeah, a little bit later on. Okay, so. Uh, I mean, just sound a little bit like a, a lot of very straightforward fights really in the later yeah. stages. Yeah, it no, was. no nail biting uh, thrillers in the, yeah. in the men's one. So, uh, tell us about tell us about the women. Yeah, well, um, so in the in the women's, we'll do our usual. Obviously, we're going to we'll go through the sixty fours first of all. So, out in the sixty four, we've got uh, Lin Cheng of China. Uh, we've got Vivian uh, Vivian Kong of Hong Kong. Uh, Coraline Batalis. Uh, Kang Yong Mi, Korea, uh, Zhu Ming Yi, China, uh, uh, Kolobova, Russia, and uh, Kelly Hurley of the US. That's quite a okay. large chunk of the top yeah, end. High seed carnage. Yep. Uh, out in the uh, out in the thirty two, we will use Kandasami of uh, of France, uh, and then out in the sixteen, uh, we'll have Sun Yuen, who obviously I've, I've been sort of singing the praise of recently because I mm-hmm. think she's turned into a really interesting fencer. Um, Kravitska uh, of Ukraine is another fencer I've really cottoned on to, uh, and Jung of Korea, and that means that our our last eight matchups, our last eight matchups are um, uh, Erika Kirpu of Estonia up against uh, Choi of Korea. Uh, Kirpu took this one fifteen fourteen. Uh, second one is uh, Mara Navaria of Italy uh, up against Orian uh, Malo France, uh, commanding one from uh, Navaria here. Uh, she wins fifteen nine. Uh, the next, uh, the third one is uh, an all-Russian affair. It's uh, Andrew Shiner of Russia up against, uh, again, I'm going to have to pause. This is one I'm really not sure about because it's not a fence that I'm familiar with. Uh, Lichagina, I think it is, or Lichagina uh, of Russia. Um, I'd love to help you here, but yeah, it's my familiar I, I, name. I'm going to admit, I have not watched this one, uh, but the score is 3-2 to Andrew Shiner. Now, I think this is the one I heard about where it the, it's completely passive. And there's actually an elimination through P-Reds. Oof. I think it's that one. Don't quote me on it because I've not watched it, mm. but I think it's that one. Somebody mentioned that I have to go and watch this one because it's you actually see the entire gameplay out in front of you. Oof, that sounds yep. ho- horrific. I don't want to watch it, No, but apparently I'm supposed to go and watch it. It's devotion yeah. above, and, above and beyond. Uh, and then the last one, this is another one I'm, uh, I haven't watched. It's, uh, it's uh, Popescu of Romania up against uh, the other homes, uh, Cat Holmes of uh, USA, uh, Pesky winning that one 10 9. 
So our first our first uh, semi final is uh, Navaria up, up against uh, Kirpu. First period is kind of is really cagey. Finishes five all. Uh, it's like it's a sort of, sort of very stip- typical strategic epi fence. Simple fences are long range and refusing point blank to commit. Um, so you just get a lot of just hit for hit. There's not really any particular game showing at this point. Uh, we go into period two, and Navaria starts to probe a little bit more. And what she's starting to do is extend a little bit more aggressively into Kirby's prep. And Kirby doesn't 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 read whether very well whether it's actually a feint or a, or a which is kind of like bog standard epi in my opinion. But it doesn't seem to read it very well whether it's the feint or the attack, and immediately loses two hits. And then both of them actually up their up their game a little bit. And uh, and I always think if you, if somebody's reading your game this way, it's a bit it's a bit risky to suddenly up your tempo quite so much because the temptation is that you do too big a step. But uh, basically, uh, Navarre just sticks to her game, keeps reading it, and the score just ticks up and finishes 12-10. Uh, the third period opens with a tremendous hit from Kirpu. It's a, it's a, it's a faint to wrist. Uh, so, sorry, faint to wrist, finish to leg. It's really, really comes from nowhere. And uh, Navarre is obviously napping a little bit. Uh, <laughs> she tries it again, but it uh, doesn't work twice. And it, and it doubles out for a little bit. And uh, Navarre basically just confident to the end and finishes 15-13. Um, it had a bit of a strange and flat atmosphere to it. Right. I don't know if it's because I was listening to the commentary, but it was, <laughs> but it was just weirdly flat. Hmm. Just it's nothing about it. Just I don't know what it was. It was just I had an odd atmosphere to it. The second semi final is Popescu versus Andrew Shiner. Uh, Popescu, the the problem we're going to have here is that Popescu gets the first point. It's a lovely. <laughs> so it's well, this is the thing. Um, it's a lovely attack, right? Sorry, Andrew Shiner tries off attack. She tries it. She's trying a bit too. Sorry, let me let me go back a minute. Andrew Shiner, this one is uh, this is how it works. Andrew Shiner tries too hard on the attack. It's too long and too deep. Right. Popescu is too far out and just takes a step back. It falls short. Popescu just dinks her on the back of the hand. That's that. that that's that done. Right. Um, after that, there's a little bit of a pause. Uh, neither fencer wants to kind of really commit at that point. There's a P yellow pulled out, mm. and then we get one more hit from uh, from Popescu, and uh, so the round finishes two 0 so it was a bit of a not, not the most exciting slow start. Slow start. Yeah. Right. Okay. So and so Andre Shiner comes out a little bit again. So we start off with a double in the second period, and it's kind of like both of them just sort of step in and try or trying something like that. I think Andre Shiner kind of wakes up to the fact that she's in quite a lot of danger because she's behind. There's already been a P yellow, and the clock's ticking down close to a minute. And this basically just it's like a prod that she needs to, to kind of get going, mm-hmm. and it starts to get a little bit more physical. And Popescu starts to get regular like. Guard clashes into the hand, okay. and she, you know, it's, it's actually over the course of the, the rest of the match, she complains a couple of times about the fact that Andrew Shiner isn't being told to rein it in a little bit because they are quite there's a definite hit, there's a definite aggressive attack onto the arm as soon as the Popescu sort of presenting it at all like that. She's really struggling actually to land the point. Popescu scores actually with a couple of nice fleshes, I think, just to stop from getting dinged on the hand constantly. <laughs> um, and the round finishes 8-4. Now, Popescu's pretty dominant at this point, and, uh, and I thought, mm, we're not going to really see very much more out of this. And I was, I was actually right. And uh, Andrew Shine is forced to keep pushing because of the time. Uh, Popescu just lengthens the distance and just sits back. And the score ticks up to 13-5 and then finishes 15-5. So it's, uh, yeah, it's not, not a thrill a minute. Got to put it that way. So our final is Popescu versus uh, Navaria. Again, it's another KG. It was a KG one at the start. Um, I like both of these fences. I've talked about mm-hmm. them in the past. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah. Like uh, sort of uh, Navaria's determination and she does have kind of a good aggressive air about her and she's like really powerfully built. 
Um, and Popescu, you're just like a kind of, I'm going to say detachment, but that kind of cool tactical mind that she's got. Sort of clinicalness about it's it. It's clinicalness, yeah. but she, yeah. the, the, she has a beauty about her fencing as well. When mm. she wants to, she's really lovely to watch. Uh, so they're both really, and as a result, they're both kind of cagey about it. And the, the bout really needs somebody to take, to basically stamp the, stamp the authority on it. But it's a good mix, basically, of, um, uh, attacks and prep, lunges and flashes. With about 16 seconds to go, uh, Mara's 5-4 up. And it looks like both fences are about to, to sort of step back, but Pesca actually baits her. And uh, Mara actually dives in at that point, and it's like, oops, shouldn't have done that. Yeah. So the, the round finishes 5-0. But it is a total moment. You can see it on her face. She's like, oh, wish I hadn't done that. Yeah. 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 I believe I've fallen for that. Yeah, exactly. Um, so the... Uh, it finishes in a sort of similar way to the... Sorry, the first set fit is in the, the same sort of hit that the second, the first beat finished on, where Pesca beats uh, Navaria and she duly ch- ch- charges in. Um, but it looks like... I, I was like, I was watching this going, she must be feeling the pressure or something because there was no need for her to do it. She just mm. dived in. Yeah. But Pesca just gave her a very basic kind of like, on you come, on you go then, and just she just sort of dives in. Um, and so she just basically just chases, literally chases Pesca down the piece and gets picked off just like on the back of the, back of the arm. It's actually quite a nice hit. Basically, Navarri just doesn't have an answer to this, and the, t- the score just ticks over with a couple of doubles, finishes 10 7. In period three, um, it actually starts with, with what I thought was how this was going to continue, mm-hmm. with uh, Navarri just scoring with an underarm hit. Pesca walks forward, obviously thinking, oh, I've got this now. Yeah. And he gets hit under the arm for being a little bit um, a little bit asleep at the wheel. And there's a, there's, again, there's more of these sort of guard clashes. and. There's a lot. Of, there's a lot of times when Navi thinks there's going to be hit, but there isn't, and it's always allowing Pesca to remise as a result. Right. So you know that you know what I'm talking about with yeah, Epi, yeah. yeah so that's happening all the time, and uh, basically Pesca just start after a couple of these. Pesca just sort of starts to sit back a little bit and get Navi to come to her. So the fight in the final hit, Pesca baits her again, and she jumps in, but the attack misses, uh, and then it's kind of one of these moments where it's kind of like. Pesca's remising away, just casually on the arm. <laughs> uh, but but she looks like she's so in control. It's kind of like it's kind of like a masterful stroke. It's like remise, remise. I'm oh, just going to pick them. Oh, just finish it now, kind of thing. Uh, and and it finishes um, fifteen, whatever it was uh, in Doha. So I haven't scored in for that one. Yeah, but, but uh, it was comfortable. It's comfortable, yeah. Pesca. So good to see Pesca back on top again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think we're we're both fans. Both fans, Navary as well. Good to see her up there on the podium as well. Yeah. Always like it when I see her there. Means that uh, things are going my way for a change. Yes. <laughs> don't don't say any more about how much you like these fencers. <laughs> exactly. So that's gonna, exactly. It's going to largely end our careers if we do that. Well, it's true. Every fencer I pick, it seems to destroy them. Yep. <laughs> Poor Max. He was the golden boy for a while. No yeah. longer. Yeah. Yeah. You've worked your own kind of terrible black magic on him. Yeah. And, uh, He's now just about hanging in in the, in the top 16 <laughs> yes, in the world right? Yes, he is. <laughs> Poor Max. Sorry, Max. It's uh, still time for him to recover from, there the, is. Uh, from the McManamy curse. Yeah, there is. <laughs> okay, so that was uh, that was Doha. Doha, yep. That was good, apart from the commentary. Apart from the commentary, pretty happy with things. Yeah, I liked it. Cool. Okay, well, more women's epi almost straight away. We're going to have a have a look at, at Barcelona. And because there was so much epi in this one, I, I stepped up to the plate here and... Uh, uh, I watched a bit of the action from from Barcelona. Yep. No complaints about the commentary here because it was all in Spanish. Uh, they seem to be having a great time though. They did, yeah. And isn't it interesting that um, didn't want to turn that off? Quite well, have to listen to them. Yeah, I didn't find it an irritating distraction. No. So uh, quite happy for a, a bit of Spanish commentary uh, running running underneath the action. So um, 
let's have a look at our early departures out in the last 164. Uh, Vitalis of France, uh, Kelly and Courtney Harley, Kravitska of Ukraine, uh, out in the 64. Out in the 32, uh, Popescu, our winner at the previous one that you just talked about, uh, going out early there. Uh, Lin Sheng of China, uh, Sun Yiwen of China, Zhu of China, so bad, bad round for the Chinese there in the 32. We'll be doing some chair chucking. Yep, I would have thought so. Yeah. I would have thought so. That's, that's his, his bonus. Yep. Shrinking a little bit there. Um, Kolbova, Russia out and Kansami going out in the 32 here as well. Mm-hmm. So uh, a lot of big names going out in the 32 stage. Uh, out in the 16, uh, Mulhausen, uh, Andershina, uh, Cat Holmes, all going out in the 16. So our quarterfinal lineup, uh, Katrina Lehis of Estonia, um, up against, uh, Navaria with uh, Lehis taking the win 15-11. Tatiana Gukova of Russia beat uh, Vivian Kong of Hong Kong 15-11. A name that wasn't really that familiar to me, uh, Alexandra Louis-Marie of France. Yeah, she she's 23. Right. So young-ish, um, but not, she's, not a kid. She's not a kid, but she's been around, but she has had a couple of other good results this year. So she's currently in the top 30. All right, okay. Okay, so I mean, I, to be fair, I, I watch less epi these days because mm-hmm. kind of well, that's your job. Um, so I hadn't actually seen <laughs> really her fencing for yeah, very, very, very tall, very tall and, yeah. and, and slim. Uh, and she was up against uh, Choi Injung of uh, Korea mm-hmm. and beat her fifteen eleven. And the only really sort of close one in the quarterfinals was uh, Kang Young Mi of, of Korea um, against Leah McKinnon of Canada. Really good result for. For Leo there, mm-hmm. uh, and Kang just edging it out fifteen fourteen there mm-hmm. to to complete our semi final lineups. So semi final one, uh, Leas against uh, Gukova. Uh, two lefties to make you happy. Three out of four. Yep. Semi finalists being being yep. lefties at this one. Both of them tall as well. <laughs> That's what you want. <laughs> two tall left handed. Epius. Yeah, great. Um, so pretty cagey, patient stuff at the start. Um, uh, Leas scoring the first hit after. 59 seconds yeah. to avoid uh, getting our, our first P card um, straight away. Uh, and she was 4-3 up at, up at the first break. I mean, it was pretty drama-free stuff. Uh, both fencers kind of feeling the other one out. Uh, and really kind of more of the same in the second period. Yeah. Uh, trading hits, the old double in there. Leah's keeping a one-hit lead uh, to make it 6-5 at the second break. And really most of the hits scored by the fencers not, fencer not taking the initiative. That's right. So hitting with counterattacks and parry repost, where it was the the way to score the hits. That's right. Yeah. Which uh, you know puts a bit of a damper on things. If you know every time the person who who tries to go for the attack gets gets picked off, it makes you less and less inclined to actually do it. Uh, from, well, that's what happens. Yeah. Because yeah. I watched this as well, obviously, and mm. it was whichever fence wanted to take the initiative was the one that didn't get the hip. So it was like, oh, great, yeah. here we go. <laughs> so uh, so we're into the third period and uh, fairly loose scoring stuff, and uh, of a levels at six apiece uh, with an attack. Um, and sure, it's not a fluke. Lehis then uh, scores with one of her own. Yeah, to to get to get one ahead again. Yep. And and the fight at this point actually starts to pick up a bit of pace. You know, we actually start seeing people scoring with attacks, and mm-hmm. uh, the action kind of uh, comes a bit more more thick and fast than it had been through the first uh, couple of periods. Good of a leveling at, at nine uh, and going ahead with a repost at at ten nine. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's less than a minute to go at this point. And then Leah sits with a, a parry post, roll square again, and we're into into extra time. Uh, Gukova with the with the priority. 
nothing much happens for, for most of the extra time minutes. <laughs> That's right, yeah. And then we get a double with 15 seconds left, uh, you know, clock's ticking, uh, Leah's having to go for it, and we get a, a run of doubles, mm-hmm. you know, clock's ticking down, and so yep. there's, you know, nine seconds left, five seconds left, three seconds left, yep. and then with a couple of seconds left, Leah has to go for it again, Gukova takes the parry, and misses with the riposte. I've actually got a note about that particular hit here, uh-huh. because did you notice what happened? Uh, the camera, they'd obviously the camera zoomed, they'd zoomed to onto Gukova to talk about her, yeah. and that's when the hit happened. Yeah, it's only afterwards they have to... yeah. I, I had to, had to, to sit go and watch back the and show it again. Yeah, I had to wait for the replays. Like, oh, okay, right. I have to wait for the replay to see what actually finished the match there. Yeah, so it was like so that's what it was—a a missed repost from, yep. from Good Cover and uh, his gleefully diving diving in with the remise to to take the win. It was actually there was another hit as well. It was I thought was really nice as well. Where uh, I can't remember which which way around it went, but one of the fences went for the attack, missed, and was caught in the parry, but the parry the block didn't land. Mm-hmm. So the two there was that like, moment knowing that the first one to twitch. Is the one that's going to lose? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. I'm not going anywhere. Exactly. So I'm, I'm going to weed. Pause. And I can't remember which way it won, but I think uh, whoever it was tried. Tried. Well, I'm, I'm just going to. I'm just going to spin in and go around the back of my bo- go around the back of my body and score a hit. Yeah. I think. Uh, do you remember sure that one? Was. Yeah, I do remember it. But it's like, oh, yeah, that's a nice hit. Was. Finally, and then yeah, then the ref like, said, "Nah, you're right." I think it was Lewis that scored the made the hit. Yeah, made the hit, but it didn't count. Yeah. So on to semi final two. Alexandra Louis-Marie uh, against Kang. Contrasting styles and physiques here, I think it's fair to say. Uh, and then some. Louis-Marie, very tall, very skinny. Uh, Kang, much shorter, more powerfully built. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that sort of traditional epi matchup of uh, tall fencer using their reach. Um, yep. Quite willing to sort of offer the blade to the, to the shorter fencer who's trying to get hold of it and close the distance. Yeah. And that, that was the, the, the struggle pretty much through, through most of the fight. Uh, you know, an epic classic of its, of its time. Um, like I said, I hadn't seen a whole load of Louis Marie fencing before mm-hmm. and it was quite sort of twitchy stuff. She would show it throughout these sort of short, short, quick, sort of twitchy, um, feints to, to wrist. Yeah. To encourage Kang to try and get hold of it. Uh, but she had properly blade work, so most of the time when Kang went to try and grab it, you know, one, two, or three attempts, um, Lumi would would slip off and either right. launch an attack off it, uh-huh. or if Kang's pressing at the time, stick her arm out. Stick her arm out. Yeah, classic. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I thought I thought you would like that. So remember, Sean, that the most satisfying hit to get an epi is the one where you don't actually do any work. Yeah. <laughs> I know you've you've said this. I mean, uh, you know, I, I fenced a bit of epic. Have you got to remember this? Yeah, I know. And that, I know. that was never my feeling. Yeah. <laughs> when you get a free hit, <laughs> lovely. Yeah. Let's do that again. Honestly, you yeah. EPS. I mean, Kate's right to be scornful. Well, it's it's a bit like you know, why would I go to all that effort of you know sequencing the DNA of a butterfly when I could just pin it to a board? <laughs> you know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Louis Marie three two up at the first break, and stretches that lead out in the in the second period to mm-hmm. to eight four as Kang um, tries to press a bit more, tries to you know put put a bit of pressure on, try and get hold of the blade, try and uh, disrupt um, the the French woman's uh, blade working it not really working from her. Um, a really nice hit in the middle of that, really nice leg hit from Louis Marie where mm-hmm. Kang's looking to put the blade up and get a faint high. Yeah, so she's pressing the leg. She yeah. spots it, haha, go for the leg. Yes, yeah, yeah, this moment where you're you're not ready for this attack coming. Mm-hmm. Um Kang managed to get it back to just eight six down at the second break. So, you know, still still in it, but to get to the final period, Kang's having to press. 
Louis Marie, really just out, out reaching her. You know, yeah, epic hits that you you would enjoy. <laughs> uh, the ca- the casual cruelty of it is quite it's quite attractive to me. But but like I think for me because I quite I like Kang as a fencer. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, uh, she she said some nice things about my picture, so I'm really oh okay. So I'm, I'm really inclined to like her very much. But she um. I think for me, she probably had to do just a little bit more. It wasn't yeah. enough. It was just it was just too simple. Her game was too simple. Yeah, it wasn't enough to actually draw Lou Marie's blade out enough that she yeah. could actually get a proper hold that she always always being given the slip. Mm-hmm. I had to it had to be at another level deep, basically. Yeah. It was just wasn't deep enough. So yeah. that happens. So Yeah. So in the end, uh really Lou Marie had control of the fight there. Yeah, and, definitely. And she's definitely. Uh, fairly comfortable with a for a fifteen ten win. So mm-hmm. On to final between Lehis and Louis Marie. Louis Marie pressing initially, and her her blade work was a little less frantic and twitchy than it had been mm-hmm. um, against Kang. A little more, a little more controlled. But then she sort of backs off. She's three three two down. She stops stops pressing. That you know maybe felt that was a, a tactic worth trying at the start of the mm-hmm. fight, and you know try and create a bit of pressure at the start, which yep. you know didn't didn't quite work. So. Um, Sort of second, you know, backs off a little bit, mm-hmm. and uh, slight worry. Lucas, uh, well, it looks like he's got a bit of bit of cramp in her her left quad, her front quad. Um, I never picked up on that. Oh yeah, yeah, she was kind of uh, had a bit of a stretch and mm-hmm. sort of rubbing her thigh, and, and yeah, I couldn't say whether it was a, a cramp. And you know, she did it a few times during the fight. It never really seemed to bother her. Seemed to bother her too badly, right? But, uh, you know, just for a moment, I thought oh, it doesn't. It doesn't look well, good. Maybe it's because her fencing looked so fluid. I was, I never just never, never registered it as anything worth thinking about. Uh-huh. Because no, just a, a little, a little pause, and mm-hmm. you know, no, no medical timeout. But um, yeah, enough. like she was uh, uh, feeling a bit of discomfort there. But uh, four, four, three up at the first break. Uh, Louis Marie goes for, goes for the press again, trying to trying to push Lee his back. Yeah. Uh, at the start of the second period, um, but but Lee is sort of stretching the lead out to. To ten six, not not bothered by that. Looking in control of things, and uh, you know, a four hit lead at the end of the end of the second break. Looking looking in control of things, it just, it just looked a sort of she just looked calm and you know under under no sort of pressure at all. And I agree, just the, the fight was was going her way, and uh, Louis Marie trying trying various things to to change the rhythm yeah. and press and draw draw mistakes, but really not, nothing quite working for her and. Yeah, uh, it was. It felt like a fight that was getting away from her steadily, lead stretching out, and uh, Lee is looking looking pretty comfortable. In the end, I mean, really, just uh, Lee is in control. Yeah, she's out comfortably. I mean, so ends up fifteen eight uh, with 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 little drama. Louis can't can't crack the code, and Lee is looking comfortable. No, I think I think that's I think that's fair. I, I think the other problem is they're both quite sort of tall, willowy fencers. Mm. They're both quite willing to sort of pick each other off around about the wrist if it's available. It's a different game to the previous one. Yeah, yeah for, for for for, for um, Louise uh, Louise Marie. Um, Lee has obviously had a, had a, a round before. It was a very similar match, mm. and I think I just prepped a bit more. I, I actually watched it, and I was thinking, well, I wasn't I'm not overly familiar with the French fencer. And I was thinking, well, I'm just going to have a little look. And I was wondering if there was maybe an age difference or... And actually, they have fenced before because uh, the French fence is 23, Leahys is 25. Right. Um, and they fence four times. Okay. And Leahys has won uh, three of them. Okay. So the percentages say it should be Leahys anyway. So... Yeah, fair enough. I mean, it was a, it was a comfortable win. And I, th- I think, uh, yeah, in the end, obviously a good day for for the Marie. Yeah. Um, 
as I say, she's S- been second at a Grand Prix, and you, you know, you, you said she's had some pretty decent results. But she's not, she's not a long way up the rankings. And, no, no, uh, she's not. She's not on the podium or. But uh, is that sixteens and eights? I can't remember off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. But she's had you know credible results recently, yeah. and this year only. Right. Uh, before before now, I don't think she's had anything very much. But this year, she had a couple of credible results. Okay. So I think she might be on starting on a yeah, little bit. I think it's too late for Tokyo for her, basically. Well, yeah, the French yeah. team in uh, well. Struggling, not, yeah, in, that's not, right, in a, yeah. not in a qualifying position at the moment. Nope. Quite a long way off the pace, and uh, <clears throat> Vitalis holding the uh, holding the European qualifying mm-hmm. position, and uh, even a late charge from uh, Ken Sammy or <clears throat> Louis Marie or anybody else uh-huh. likely to be. Too late. It's going to be have to be something properly impressive now to to break that. I don't think it's possible. I actually don't think it's possible. Now. I don't think so. Anyway, yeah, long way ahead. Uh, so so anyway, onto the teams. Um, what's about the teams? But well, this is kind of interesting to some degree for action that happened really early in the day. Uh, okay, that affects Olympic qualification. Um, Estonia had had moved into a qualifying position basically because Egypt had dropped out of the top sixteen. No, nobody, no team qualifying from mm-hmm. Africa as things stood coming into this, which meant that Estonia sort of picked up the the, the bonus place. Mm-hmm. You know, not the top four, not the leading European team outside mm-hmm. the top four. But yeah, yeah. with with Egypt uh, dropping out of the top sixteen, good news for Estonia. But in the last thirty two here, Egypt beat Japan uh, pretty comfortably and went on to finish fourteenth, which means now that Egypt are Still just outside the top 16 in the adjusted Olympic ranking, but only by a point Ooh. behind Japan. Oh my God. So, this, so assuming that all the teams turn up mm-hmm. uh, for, I think there's only one World Cup left, mm-hmm. there's a 50-50 chance that we're going to have Japan against Egypt again. Okay. Egypt have absolutely nothing, uh, Japan rather have absolutely nothing to, to play for here. Mm-hmm. You know, there's no danger of them, even if they were to win the last World Cup of the season, they can't jump up far enough to mm-hmm. to remotely challenge for for qualifying themselves. Whereas Egypt have absolutely everything to play for, and there's a good chance. Well, another last sixteen would almost certainly move them above Japan mm-hmm. and back into qualifying for the Olympics. Yeah, interesting. Yeah. So, who says the last thirty-two fights don't have anything interesting about them in team matches? <laughs> there was uh, there was a really interesting one. Yeah, and there's. I mean, we're getting to that stage now of the season where there's a whole load of you know, myriad options of what could happen, the yeah. teams that qualify, teams that don't, who misses out. Um, there is another podcast that covers all that. And if you, if that's your thing, yeah, uh, go and have a listen to, uh, Dave Baker and Kareem Bashir on the, uh, Tokyo 2020. Casting, casting the runes. Exactly. Yeah. And, and, you know, mining the spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. Um, but I just thought that was, that was a really interesting one that I would mention here before we cut to the sort of later stages. So, um, Quarterfinals, Korea beat Poland 27-26, USA beat Hong Kong 44-34, Russia beat Hungary 40-31, and China beat France 35-34. On to the semifinals, Korea beat USA 45-32, and China beat Russia uh, 45-30, so two pretty straightforward um, semifinals. Uh, And in third place, USA beat Russia. Uh, 45-27, so uh, a strong performance again from USA. Mm-hmm. Uh, good for them, keeps them in the top four. Uh, good news for Canada as well, who will, <laughs> will be cheering on 
uh, <laughs> cheering on USA to the end of the season to uh, ensure that they they also qualify a team for the Olympics with the in the Pan Am spot. Um, so I hadn't watched really any of this to be honest, but I did watch the final uh, Korea against China. Um, China eleven nine up after three legs, lots of activity, not a whole load of hits. I mean, the P card has the effect of making you don't get out and out boring matches where two fencers would stand around and look each other, mm-hmm. but you don't need to score a whole load of hits to, to avoid getting a P card and it kind of edges forward China a couple of hits up at the yeah. end of the third leg. What happens in the next four legs? Um, excellent spreadsheet fencing from the, the Koreans. They realize they, they've got a lot of time. They're only a couple of hits down. If they can score one more hit in the Chinese in each leg, even though that only involves scoring three hits, two hits in each leg. That's absolutely fine. Um, so that by the time we get to the end of the seventh leg, um, they're, they're four hits up, 25, 21 up. And uh, final leg, Zhu against Kang. And uh, Kang sees it home pretty comfortably in the end for a 39-34 win. For a, okay. for a fight with quite, quite a lot of stuff going on, I, I felt... Not a whole load of emotional engagement in it. Well, <laughs> it's a tricky it's one. Is that bad? Uh, I don't know. It's well, it's like, as I say, it was like it's a bit. It was that moment in the in the semi final where it finished, and I was like, "What?" It's like, "Oh, that was." was a bit flat there. Like I wasn't. I wasn't mm. engaging in it either. I, I just felt, and it was that moment. I mean, the P cards keep the score ticking over, so it does have the desired effect of forcing that forcing something to happen. Yeah, but it is possible for you to score one hit every 59 seconds from one fencer. Yeah. Which is dull. It's absolutely <laughs> dull. Right. Uh, it's not so bad. It doesn't seem to be happening so often in the men's game, but some of the, some of the women's matches do seem to go like that for some reason. Yeah. They yeah. seem more, far more capable of sitting back and really crunching the numbers. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, it is what it is. Yeah. So yeah, my, f- my first bit of women's epi watching for, for a wee while. Quite enjoyed the individuals. I thought that was pretty good stuff. Uh, yeah, team final. I mean, maybe I should have watched more matches, but but well, I didn't. Well, let's let's watch. <laughs> let's see if we can remember to watch Egypt v Japan then. Yeah, well, I mean, that's the thing. Quite often, the last thirty-two matches aren't aren't live streamed. Well, that's true because they start with the, it usually starts with the sixteen. Yeah, that's right. So we may just what? be left with a you know a score and go. Oh, look at that! Got, yeah, exactly, exactly. But yeah. it is an important one because it affects all loads of. A load of people, not mm-hmm. just the not just the Egyptians. I see the effect it'll have on the Estonians, and mm-hmm. yeah, interesting, interesting times. So um, yeah, my first bit of epi watching, uh, women's epi watching, certainly for uh, for a wee while, and yeah, pretty pretty much enjoyed the individual and uh, interesting stuff. Uh, yeah, just looking at, at some of the results from the teams. Yeah, it's so. also good. I, I quite enjoyed sort of seeing that, that, that the French fencer Louis. Louis Martin fencing, that was quite nice. Mm-hmm. Always good to see someone you're not familiar with. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and you and you faced me certainly. And, yes. Uh, yeah, enjoyable. Mm-hmm. So more, more epic, more epic. It's, 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 it's all epic. It's all epic. Well, actually, no, don't you know? Don't despair, uh, foilists, because there's <laughs> we've, we have got some some foil action to to round things off at the end. But yeah, tell us about the men's epic in Vancouver. Okay, now to Canada. Canada uh, or oh, Canada. Canada. Oh, that's Canada. The that's the one. We'll, we'll do our usual spin through the results. Uh, out in the 64, uh, we've got Santorelli, uh, Riesling, uh, Cano, and Alexinen. Uh, out, in the 30, uh, out in the 32, uh, Yamada, Garozzo, 
and uh, El Said of Egypt uh, and Jerome of France. Mm, the returning Daniel Jerome. That's right, yeah. Actually, is he, is he in the top 16 yet? I guess. No. I only mention him because he's a name that I'm familiar with, I think. That's, that's yeah, the thing. he had a bit of enforced time off. That's right. That's right, yeah. Yeah. And, I, and now he's back. Mm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, out in the last 16, uh, we've got uh, Heinzer, uh, Cimini, uh, Shiklosi, uh, Minobi, Park, and Bardney. Okay. So. All our stars from the last one. Yeah, broken out in 16. Yeah. Apart from. Apart from. Shall we move swiftly on to the quarterfinal action? Yeah, let's. Uh, our first one is um, Max versus uh, Baz for Wylan. Oh, it's like, it's like Baz seems like he's been around forever now. He yeah, must have been really young when he first won the World Championships. So <laughs> you really should go back and check that one out. Well, yeah, I mean, we were, we were talking about this before we started recording about you know how old are some of these guys. And, yeah. uh, Baz isn't, it, as old turn, as, isn't as old as you think he is. Turns out Baz is, what, 36? 36, I think. Right? Yeah, and I would have guessed well, quite a bit higher than that, to be honest. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was easily 40, but just a boy. Just a boy, really. <laughs> Compared to me, anyway. Anyway, sorry. Uh, back, back, to, back to the top. Back on topic. Um, uh, Baz wins that one, fifteen twelve. I bet you Max and Baz have fenced loads of times now. Yeah, sure. Must have done. Surely. Um, round two is uh, Nikishin up against uh, Redleaf Hungary, and uh, Nikishin winning that one, eight six. Sense of thriller. Yep. Uh, a third third one is the Gascon up against Cimini, uh winning fifteen thirteen. And our final matchup is uh, the man himself, the Terminator, Yannick Burrell, up against his uh, the T one thousand, Sergey Bidi of Russia. Um, Sergey, uh, this is a really close one actually. You should go back and watch that one. Uh, winning that one fifteen thirteen. So our first semi final. Uh, should we talk about the presentation? I have to get this off my chest. This is something mm, else yep. I have to get off my chest. I watched this thinking this looks just like the Scottish Open here. Now we've we've run the Scottish Open in a local. Uh, modern sco- sports complex called the Orium, and it looks great. If you, have, if anyone's ever been there, it looks really lovely. And basically, this is what the Vancouver Men's Epi looked like. It was held in a okay. a modern. Well, well actually, know, actually, it isn't modern. We've seen we've seen the wider picture. But you, you were even cruel on this. You said that uh, the Scottish Open presentation center is something that Vancouver should aspire to. Yeah. Well, I, I was trying to back off and be nice about it, but <laughs> yeah, you're right. Don't bother. Yeah. Uh, it is odd. It's a. It's. It looks just like a regular open, and I just can't get my head around it. Mm-hmm. I've got one camera, and it's behind the referee, and slightly to one side. But the referee basically is standing right in your way <laughs> in, the, in the stream. It's it's it's, a, it's an odd setup. I did think that the lighting was lovely. If I was taking pictures there, it has that lovely light, nice kind of natural light look to it. But mm-hmm. I don't if any, if any of my Canadian pals want to get in touch. I'm sure it's money, really, but I mean, tells me why this particular hall is the one that they they host it. Is it the old Olympic Hall, for example? It just no, you, that's, well, no, it won't be Vancouver. It's not Montreal. Oh God, so it was. Yeah. yeah so why this hall then? Yeah. Why is it not in Montreal? Where there's an Olympic Hall? Anyway, um, I'd love to know. I just love to know why this particular hall. Uh, right. Anyway, so first up, we've got uh, Nikishin versus Bass. So we talk about the age thing. Uh, I thought Nikishin was younger than Bass. It turns out he's older. Nikishin's thirty-nine. Uh, it's just one of it's just one of those. Those sorts of things here. So a combined, uh, so what, a combined age of 75 <laughs> between our two of our leading men's epiists. Epiists don't retire, they just turn grey. Yeah. <laughs> they don't go old, they just mature. They just mature. Mm. Yeah, like, like a fine cheese. Um, <laughs> so it's a, perhaps a very apt comparison, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The first period isn't particularly exciting. So it's like just before we get our first peak, our bass scores with the flesh. That's the first hit that we get. It's like two, minute, two minutes and... 
couple of seconds. Uh, and then Nikishin scores with a scrambled remise a few seconds later. And then there's a yellow card with uh, 128. Now, it, it took me a couple of rewatches. I had to go back and rewatch this a couple of times mm-hmm. to figure out what the yellow card was because, you, you know, when you start fencing, when the, when the referee says fence or alley, whatever, and sometimes, you know, your body wire isn't sitting correctly in your jacket and you just straighten it a little bit. So you yeah. pull on the, on the, this coming out the back of your jacket. Well, that's what Baz does without thinking. Mm-hmm. But the ref spots it, calls a halt, and immediately yellow cards him. And it's one of those moments where I know, I know, I know we're supposed to be all over this one, but Baz, you could just see his face going, oh, I really wish I hadn't done that. <laughs> Well, it's such a dumb way to give away those cards. It's, you know? it's so it's like oh these guys are supposed to be professionals, right? But anyway, it was the most notable thing in that in that period. Um <laughs> Yeah, so the score score's tied at uh one all, there's twenty one seconds left. That, that's when the PL happens. Uh I actually felt that the call was slightly yet, but anyway, it's a boring first period. Anyway. Uh there's no fencing for the first minute in the second period. Uh there's a so there's a P red. Now we're on two all. After what's that? Four minutes of fencing. It sounds great. Yeah, it was it was, uh, it was fantastic. So this time, the kitchen starts to press actually because I think he's starting to feel the pressure a little bit, uh, and the clock's running down. And uh, Bass scores actually with a, a remise on on his flesh off the off the line. And this is kind of how Bass is going to fence the kitchen from here on in. So he starts the flesh, pulls his hand back. Because Nikish to get Nikish to extend into it, and then he picks it up and goes again. Okay. So it's like a remise on the flesh. The bout, he scores a couple of hits like this, and it goes four two. And it, at that point, it feels like it's all Baz. Right, like the whole match is just kind of opening up in front of him now. Baz keeps scoring again with this remise on the flesh. A couple of stop hits, and that pe- that period finishes seven uh, three to Baz. Mm. You know, you're thinking Nikish's a playmaker. He like, likes to make things happen and work with it. Um, but every time he steps in, Bass hits him with uh, basically a flesh or a remise on the f- on, on this uh, weird remise on the flesh movement that he does. I, I've, we've talked about this before we recorded, but Baz, Baz's fencing stuff feels like it's from a different era. Yeah. The kitchen feels more modern to me. Even though he's old, it feels more modern to me. Mm. It's more aggressive. There's more going on. Baz has that kind of old style kind of, I'm really tall, I'm really well built, and I'm just really damn awkward. <laughs> uh, the awkwardness is the thing that uh, always strikes me, certainly. Yeah, yeah. Um, the kitchen doesn't really have an answer, basically. We just go through it, uh, and the, the period finishes 12-9. Oh, sorry. We get up to 12-9, sorry. And then there's a lovely exchange where uh, Nikishin misses on his attack, and both fencers uh, go close combat, and you get old-school conversational blade stuff. Ching, 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 ching. Oh, okay. So, the, you know, the points are going everywhere, uh, and eventually uh, eventually it comes up with Baz again. So we're at um, we're at 14-11, we come in, it starts again. Nikishin tries to press this time, but Bass finishes him off with a, a counter flesh this time. So as, ba- as, uh, as Nikishin starts his attack, he gets fleshed off the line essentially by Baz. It's ballsy because he hasn't done that the entire match basically. Right, yeah. uh, and he, f- he wins that one uh, 15-11. That was a good one. Our second, uh, it's, it's an interesting one for me because just I didn't expect to see Baz there. But anyway, never mind. Um, <laughs> well, no, he's been hanging around the later stages of these things quite a bit recently. Well, it's like he's, he's rejuvenated somehow. Yeah. You know, he's not that, he's, I mean, we just said he's not that old. He's 36. But uh, in epitomes, he's, you know, he's mature now. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's only been the world champion the once. Yeah. Right. So our second semi final is uh, Bida versus Lamar de Gascon. Obviously, we've got two lefties, slightly contrasting styles. You've got the sort of the the, the punchy strength of Bida up against the sort of the fluid Lamardo. I think that's the best way of sort of looking at it. Um, just before, there isn't any fencing to start off with, really, but there's four seconds before the P card. Um, Lamardo manages to score with a nice pick and flick. Uh, so it's a nice hit. Uh, 
And then he does the same thing again. He, this time he does it slightly too far out, so it works out to be more like a, an invitation than the, than the pick and flick. So as Bida extends into it, uh, Leonardo just adapts to it and fleshes up instead instead of going for the flicks. Lovely hit again. It's actually worth going to actually watch that one. Um, and basically the score just sort of uh, ticks up to uh, 4-3 uh, for Lamardo. Now Bida is starting to, sorry I should have said it, Bida starting to work the distance a little bit more at this point. Okay. You can see him kind of working out, well if I put my hand here I'm going to get flicked. If I do this I'm going to, you know, I'm just going to get sick. It felt to start off with that Lamardo was going to start running away with it, but basically Bida just comes back and does a counter flick at one point to finish the, finish the period four all. Uh, in period two, uh, Lamardo just goes for fleshes for some reason. He just starts to flesh. It's odd because in the previous round he was scoring nice hits by either baiting Bida, drawing him in, mm-hmm. or prepping with a pick and flick and, and then fleshing yeah, off. Yeah. These are the sort of the range of hits he was doing. This time he doesn't bother. It's just boom straight for the flesh, and that's kind of. Well, be delights. He wants yeah, to block out and hits you. It's kind of feeding like, him. Yeah, yeah, you're just feeding him the weight. So he just blocks him out. Goes goes a hit up basically. It ticks over a little bit and it goes hit for hit for a while. You can just tell the beat is getting more and more comfortable with Lomardo. Just you can just feel it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this period actually finishes with uh, Bida leading eight seven. The period three opens with a really nice hit from Bida. Lomardo uh, tries to just goes for the flick again. Uh, Peter's like, nah, I'm not having that anymore. And just blocks him out, hits him. Uh, and then the score ticks up to 12 8. All right. So Peter's now got it. He knows that the timing's going to be, he knows if he puts his hand out, what's likely to happen. Yeah. So it would be that obviously if he puts his hand out, if you don't do anything with it, he hits you. Mm-hmm. If you do something with it, he's either going to block you out or he's going to step back and pirate posture. It's, it's a simple game yeah. and it's always well executed. Plus, he's just really strong. There's a just before the game actually the match actually finishes. Um, Bida thinks he's scored, so this is at fourteen ten. Uh, mm. Bida thinks he's scored. He comes in really close, goes for the hit. Lamardo tries for the stop hit and steps back, and it's like a fractional miss. Bida starts to take his mask off as Lamardo fleshes him. Ooh, right. Bad. And it's one of those moments where it's like, ooh, oopsie, <laughs> like that. And he immediately, every, the referee obviously stops and immediately hands up the yellow card. Yeah. And you can just sort of see it immediately. Like, yeah, I was, I was getting ahead of myself there. Oops, yeah. really sorry about that. So anyway, it finishes, uh, 15-10. So we're into the final. It's, uh, it's Bida versus Baz. Uh, Bida opens up with a nice step lunge, drops to the leg, tune all up, basically. So it's like a confident start from Bida. Uh, he starts to over egg his prep though. And Baz starts to pick him off. So it's kind of, that's an unusual thing. I was thinking, I was thinking about this. It's kind of unusual for Bida because he's so well, he's, he's always in control. Yeah, it's all quite compact. It's very it? compact. His yeah. movements are always really, really good. But there's something about the way that Baz fences, which is obviously just the massive awkwardness that you've got. Mm, that's much, like much weirdness going to yeah. throw your <laughs> sense of judgment and what's appropriate. Yeah. So Baz starts to hit him with a sort of a, a it's 4-2 down at the moment. It starts to hit him with an array of just awkward hits, <laughs> like awkwardly timed stop hits and a flunge at one point. Uh, okay. and in fact it's the flunge which equalises at four all it's just like oh, I was like is that a flesh I'm not giving him that it's not a flesh it's a flunge it's a hop forward that's all it is right um, and the score's the score's ticking up actually uh, there's actually a there's actually a I can't see at one point because the ref's head keeps getting in the way <laughs> so the like, two fences are fencing just as where the points are I'm like I can't see because the ref's in the way yeah. uh, anyway so the, the that particular period finishes 5-7 five, 5-7 seven, uh, five, seven to Baz uh, and then Baz does a few, a couple of, uh, attacks and prep. We've got 9-5. And then this just becomes the sort of the, just the way it goes. Baz is just seeing B 
Beera's prep again hmm. and just starts uh, attacking into, into his prep. Um, Beera's trying to press because he's he's, so, he's starting to get so far behind now that he has to do something. Yeah. Um, uh, that he's not getting it and the score just ticks up. It's sitting at 10-7 at one point and then Beera gets a couple of hits. It goes 8-10, 9-10 and then again, just Bazza starts doing the attack and prep, fleshing the remise on the flesh uh, and he doesn't get another hit that finishes 15-9 pretty convincing now, I've been wondering how you handle Bida because I've been mm. watching recently nobody really seems to have an answer because of his strength and that kind of t- the, the way that he presents the blade you know if you don't do something with the blade you, you will be hit mm-hmm. and the if you if you try and do something he's going to work it out and do something to you that's basically the way it goes right that's just how it is but basically if you want to know how to fence Bida you just watch Bass you just be awkward <laughs> Right, and when you go, you just be absolutely committed. You mm. don't give Bida any room for manoeuvre at all. You just be absolutely committed to it, whatever it is. How it doesn't matter how awkward or strange looking it is, you be absolutely committed to it. Doesn't give Bida any room to do anything. I thought it was really interesting. And then I, I thought, well, if Bass is this old. Bida's just he's not, he's not, he's not old, old in epi terms. No, mid twenties. Yeah. Um, I wonder if they fenced before and they have. They fenced four or five times. Bass has never lost them. Uh, interesting. Which I thought was really interesting, yeah. especially that guy like Bida, who's um, he's the man on form right now, the world number one. Yeah, I just thought that was interesting. So I looked at it, I was like, oh, he's never lost him. So I thought it was quite interesting. So, so Baz has the answer. Baz has the so, answer. Baz is your man. He's got Bida, Bida kryptonite. <laughs> you know what it's like. You do get these guys in Epi, you just can't beat them. Yeah. Um, so it's a team match. It's a team because obviously it's a World Cup. So we'll we'll just go through this one. Um, interesting result in the last 16. Uh, Hungary defeat by USA. Mm. 45-41. Yeah. That's, that's, quite, that's quite an interesting one. Uh, we move into the last eight. Uh, USA are narrowly defeated by by France, forty five forty one. The second match is Ukraine versus Italy. Um, bit of a spreadsheet fencing from Italy. They win thirty eight thirty five. That's what Italy do. It is. Um, I haven't watched this next one, but I should really go back and watch it. It's Russia versus Japan. Uh, Japan win this one, thirty six thirty five. It's it's comprehensive. And our final one is uh, Spain versus Korea. It's a comfortable win for for Korea, forty five thirty three. So our our semi finals are France versus Italy. Uh, Italy win this one comfortably 45-39 we've seen them we've seen this happen before anyway yeah, so we, yeah, we, yeah. we know it's, it's, it's a possibility over in the in the other semi um, Korea beat Japan narrowly 36-35 and then but in, Japan finally finally, finally remember, remembering how to fence as a team and you can say the same about Korea as well they've been oh, pretty Korea ordinary been- for all of Olympic qualifying I mean remember we used to talk about the Korean men's EPI all-stars, they were... Unbeatable. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And they've been way off the pace. Yeah. Way, been, way off the they've pace. They've been probably they... rubbish losing to genuine, but harsh, but, you know, teams that you think possibly be losing to these guys. But, why Why are Korea not up there yeah. winning all the time? I don't know. It's something, they've just not been acting as a team. I mean, Japan are, 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 I feel like, the second tier team to Korea, so they're in second place in that Asian thing. Mm. Uh, but they're always been quite exciting. But again, they just don't fire well as a team at all. Yeah. Just not at all. So the two Asian teams getting their act together to to some degree. Well, if you're going to do a run, do it now. Uh, well, you know. say maybe start your run and you know, let's say ooh, a third of the way through Olympic qualifying, rather than leaving it to the last True. couple of events. I, I think that's a bit nerve nerve shredding for my taste. Uh, I mean, we're epics. We don't really like excitement, but it is the exciting route. <laughs> it is the exciting put off, route. Put off as long as possible. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Fair enough. Oh, we should talk about the final. Um, it was Korea versus Italy, and Korea won the level comfortably uh, 39-24. So it feels like a resurgent Korean team. And the thing is that 
Korea winning this has really put the cat among the pigeons now. Yeah. Uh, because the, the fifth sort of fifth slot now uh, for the Olympics is all over the place because uh, all the teams right about there are only separated by a few points. Yeah. Uh, so if they defeat, if they go high, if they manage to get a few points, they can basically take Ukraine's slot, which will knock out Hungary. Uh, all this, and then after that, you've got Russia, who's only a couple of points behind there, too. Yeah. So there's all kinds of interesting things that are going to yeah. happen over the next. Uh, and if, if Korea move up into the top four, suddenly Japan are qualifying and having to rely on yeah. host nation places for the Olympics, it's, um, yeah, it's, it's getting to, getting close to the finish line. Yeah. All to play for, as exactly. they say. Yeah. And like, you know, I keep saying it, we're not really into the excitement in Epi, but it is quite exciting. Yeah. And, and Epi is all about the, the sort of the randomness of it all. <laughs> <laughs> so what you got then for the, for the last World Cup? What, Hong Kong to win and, um, Uzbekistan to finish second or something. And, uh, yeah. Wouldn't that be amazing? <laughs> it would be amazing, but not entirely amazing for Epi. You wouldn't rule it out. <laughs> no, no, no. Ukraine going out in the first match or something like that. Yeah. It'd be just yeah, like I crazy mean, that's, stuff. That's perfectly possible. Yeah. Perfectly. I, don't think, I don't think the Swiss have qualified yet. I don't think they have. I have to go, go and double check that. The Swiss are a solid team, right? Yeah. We know that as individuals, they maybe don't quite fire, but it's all, it, it, they really are really great as a team. Yeah. Uh, and they, they're, they're just, where did they finish here? Um, they, they went out in the 16. Yeah. Uh, in Vancouver. And they were beaten by Spain. Uh, 45-40. I've not watched that one, so I can't see anything. But Spain, Spain are, as a team, interesting as well. They're all team. I mean, they're, they're superstars. Uh, Pereira, obviously. That's right. And, and the rest of the teams, yeah, not, not all that, but occasionally they get all together and yeah. Pereira has amazing run and, you know, batters people and. Yeah, Pereira gets his uh, head they, on nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, uh, and they produce the odd, the odd amazing result. Yeah. So interesting. Anyway, interesting. It's always interesting in Epiland. It is. Right, our final and there's bit. Been, been a whole load of it. Whole oh, load of it. It's always, it's always, yeah. A ton of AP. Always a ton of it, yeah. Um, well, right. thank, thank goodness that's over. Let's talk some foil. Let's talk some foil. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, on to uh, Grand Prix in, in Turin. We need um, to go one, uh, we were going to go this year. It's just not, it's just not working out for me. Uh, we need to, we need to do this. You need to get a job where you actually don't do nearly as much work. Seems to be the problem at the moment. Uh, at the moment, it's it's mental. I don't want to talk about work. <laughs> just don't, it's so it's so mad. I just don't want to talk about it. Okay, so um, well, I'm going to kick off the, with the men's foil in terms of the order that the the events happen and the way the sort of finals are presented. It's not how it runs, but um, I want to talk about the women's foil last because it was absolutely great. Mm-hmm. Men's foil maybe just a little bit less exciting, but uh, you know, as a was it? I, I watched this as well. Huh? I, quite, I, I like both it was quality them. stuff, and it's a you know, uh, it's got an end result that we I think I think we're quite happy with. But you know, we'll, def- yeah, we'll ask. But anyway, let's let's not spoil the surprise. But I, th- I thought the women's foil was absolutely immense. So mm-hmm. uh, I'm going to start with the men's here. So in the last sixty four. Um, Garozzo, Safin, uh, Lavador and Sice. So I mentioned Lavador and Sice, you know, neither of them are in the top 16, but both in the running for, um, claiming a place mm-hmm. at the Olympics for, uh, the European Zonal Qualifier. Sice, Sice more likely? Uh, no, Lavador probably slightly ahead now. Sice had a, a okay. couple of duff ones and, and not really done anything to strengthen his case sure. with, uh, with a 64 here. Um, out in the 32, uh, the four, Itkin, uh, Kassara, uh, Chunka Long, Ryan Choi, Shupinich, and Clybrink. And again, Shupinich and Clybrink get a mention because they're two more contenders mm-hmm. for, um, for the, that European, uh, qualifying position. Uh, Clybrink Cly- second, uh, second placed European, uh, at the moment. Yep. Um, I'd be mad if he, I'm just, he's gonna be mad if he qualifies. 
Like, well, it's, it's like he's been how, how, how long was his break? Three years, two years, something like that. And all of a sudden, he's in contention again. But well, let's think because he well he had a pretty big break after London twenty twelve. Mm-hmm. Was kind of draw, dragged back into the German team to try and get them to to Rio. So he did yep. not even the full season in the run up to to Rio, mm-hmm. um, and then it's just kind of kicked on from there. And uh, yeah, looking yeah. looking good for for qualifying at yeah. the moment, but a couple of comps still to go. So out in the last sixteen, uh, Chermisinov, uh, Mertin, and Marcus Mepstead making a sixteen here. So that's good news for him. It stretches his qualifying lead out against mm-hmm. all the guys that I've mentioned that were knocked out in the thirty-two and the yeah. sixty-four earlier. Keeps him in the top sixteen, so that makes his life a little bit easier at the uh, at the next one, which. Uh, Cairo. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, so he's he's not not quite nailed on for Olympic qualifying just yet, but it's getting there. It's yeah, it's it's well, it's it, good. It's looking it can, can just a bit touch it now. Just mm-hmm. a bit touch it. Um, so our quarterfinals: uh, Alex Masialis up against uh, Alessio Facconi, and a pretty, pretty comfortable win for for Masialis at fifteen nine. Mm-hmm. Our surprise package of the the last eight: uh, Waller and Roger of France, young French yes. guy just out of. Just out of juniors, had really good day. Uh, beat beat Metzed in the sixteen, uh, which uh, you know, a fight that I watched, and he was a long way down in that fight, seven two down, I think it was, but found various ways to to neutralise the hits that that Marcus had scored with at the start of the fight. Mm-hmm. Stayed very calm, kept on top of things, established a degree of control towards the end of the fight, and won that one pretty comfortably in the end, fifteen twelve. Yeah. Did we not see him in Poland? Yes, yeah, we okay. did because the name is really familiar. So. He was up against uh, Lee Kwang Kyung of uh, Korea, and he beat him pretty comfortably, 15-8. Grayson Bowden up against Erwan Lepeshu, and again, another another comf- comfortable victory here with uh, Bowden winning 15-8. And last of our quarterfinals, Garrett Meinhardt uh, up against uh, Kirill Borodachev. Mm-hmm. So matching his, uh, his brother Anton's last eight in Paris with a, an eight of his own here. Mm-hmm. Um, so couple of couple of youngsters in there um one progressing into the semi-final the other mm-hmm. one not but it is a really exciting group of of young fencers kind of emerging out of what is uh out of juniors oh. um these two it can obviously um i'm a big fan of the, the other the other Borodichev, anton Borodichev, yeah. um milnikov uh tomasa marini yeah. i mean these are good these guys are going to be the, the stars i mean it probably i mean Probably now counts as one of the yeah, I think so. genuine stars, uh, but these guys are are not far behind. And you get mm-hmm. the feeling that over the uh, over the next few years, they're they're going to be the guys who are, are stepping Olympics, up and coming the big names. The year after the Olympics, we'll start to see that change happen. I yeah, think you'll definitely see those guys at the top. That switch over. So yeah, exciting exciting mm-hmm. times for the kind of evolution of uh, of men's foil and who the who the big names are. Um, so semi final one where I'm going to skip over this pretty pretty quickly because it was a an absolutely ruthless slaughter uh, by Marcellus against uh, young young Roger fifteen two. It was, and, and, <laughs> you know, basically Roger couldn't get away from Marcellus' yeah. attack, and when he tried to attack, he couldn't hit Marcellus. He was yeah. hit with a pirate post or hit with a sort of closing counter attack and set team, and um, just I couldn't. Couldn't work out at all, and it was a. Uh, I mean, it was mercifully quick as the only thing. Uh, it was over in ruthless couple of minutes. The, I mean, no, I watched this as well, obviously, and it's like what yeah. we see. How, how do you defeat the Marcialis threshing kind of yeah. hand? Like, what do you do there? Yeah. Well, whatever the answer was, 
yeah. Roger didn't have it. He did it, not right? have it, that's yeah. right. So, so let's quickly gloss over that. I mean, it was at the end of a, Good a, a, a glorious well day, but yeah. Yeah, take a bronze medal, I think. Yeah, absolutely. So the second semi-final, a bit, bit more exciting. Um, two Americans, Meinhardt against, uh, up, uh, up against Wimboden. Um, and in Jamex World, this is fencing. Yeah. This is fencing. Like Garrick, so absolute, absolute delight like to watch. Too, to be fair. Yeah. I mean, two, two fantastic fences to watch. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a proper two to two slugfest, you know, both, both going for it, mm-hmm. no hanging around. And, um, beautiful blade work, lovely movement, fantastic timing from both fencers. Mm-hmm. But from early on in the fight, um, my heart just, just that little bit sharper. Uh, he never missed his timing was just a little bit more yeah, on. Definitely. Um, and Bowden getting caught flat footed a couple of times, mm-hmm. which, which never really happened with, uh, with Meinhardt. He, he develops a, a big lead, yeah, 13, 6 up after uh, just over a couple of minutes into the mm-hmm. fight. Um, and it's all happening at a sort of tremendous pace. But Embodin battles back, finds, finds some better reposts, gets a, a better feel for the, for the timing. He's not getting caught flat footed yep. nearly so often. Um, and kind of drags himself back into the, into the, the fight, uh, gets it back to 13-11 down. Uh, and then we get a glorious parry repost from Meinhardt to go 14-11 up. Mm-hmm. Puts the, puts the point in line in yeah, Bowden pressing. Uh, in Bowden finds the blade, so he takes the point in line away, mm-hmm. sort of threshing, threshing defense. Yeah. Uh, which he then stops, draws the attack and then hits with a yeah. brilliant cart repost. Fantastic hit. Mm-hmm. Um, if you're going to go and watch one hit from from Turin, that's well, I was going to say that's probably the one. Certainly from the main side, it's a it's an absolute beauty. Uh, and then the last hit, well, it, it's given as as Meinhardt's parry repost. Um, and Bono called for the video review because mm-hmm. he's still got a video review left yeah. at that point. But he seems genuinely outraged that his his attempted flip to shoulder has been called as being parry reposted, mm-hmm. and. Watched a few times. I'm, I'm still, I'm still not convinced that it's right, to be honest. But really, I watched it and I was thinking, I could see the case, but I was like, I was like, no, did he do enough? I'm not, I'm not sure. Yeah, my feeling was it would go, go straight through. Anyway, they he are. did, he did, he did spend a wee bit of time complaining about that after as well. He did, yeah. At the yeah. End, he was, he was still there going, no, 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 no. You, you yeah. should be paying more attention. Yeah. <laughs> but I watched it. I was like, I wasn't, I wasn't, told, I wasn't as convinced as you. I was a bit more fifty-fifty about it. Yeah, I can I see mean, the case. I'm, I'm I can still, see both I'm still of them. Fifty-fifty. I'm not. I say I'm, I'm not. I'm not convinced that it was. Yeah. But anyway, it's happened. My heart. My heart takes the win, fifteen yeah. eleven, and uh, really good fight. Yep. Really good. So on to the final, uh, an all American affair, and well, a bit of an anti-climax, to be honest. I mean, for considering how often these guys must defence each other, mm-hmm. you know, both. Um, M team fencers coached by Greg Massialis from being little kids. They must have, they must have fenced literally thousands of times. Yeah. Meinhardt had the, the much better feel of, um, when he could pick off gaps in, uh, Massialis' preparation. So, you know, familiar looking, uh, invisible dog lead attacks mm-hmm. from Massialis and Meinhardt could, could find the moment regularly to make the stop hit. Get the distance and and block it. The attempt to yeah. finish the attack, uh, and he landed with his attack far more reliably as well. Mm-hmm. Never, hardly ever missed. You know, Massialis is hard to hit with that sort of uh, threshing defence and that that counter attack where where he then blocks out the set team and disappears behind his arm and his yeah. guard. And yeah. um, 
you know, obviously something that, that Meinhardt's had a good look at for a very, very long time. Yeah. And, and How'd you meet Alex? Well. Watch Garrick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, in the end, a, a pretty comfortable win. Um, 15-8. Yeah. And, and never really looked in doubt from from quite early on in the fight. And, uh, yeah, all done in a minute and 40 seconds. So, That's what you want. Yeah. High, <laughs> high speed stuff. So, this has been a sort of persistent theme that every time uh, we, we talk about Garrick Meinhardt's fencing, we say, isn't it beautiful? Isn't it fantastic? Doesn't he move well? Isn't his blade work great? Mm-hmm. Why doesn't he win more often? Well, that's a good question. When was the last time he won? Since before we started doing this podcast. It's been a while, right? Yeah, it is. It but is he, absolutely. he did take some time out because... Nope. I thought he did. I thought no, he went, no, no, no. I thought, I, th- I thought, is this, <laughs> I thought he went and did some work because he was basically was like, right, you've had your shot at the Olympics. You need to go do two years of spreadsheets. Um, he did some time with spreadsheets and mm-hmm. he may still be doing spreadsheet time. I don't know whether he's training full time or mm-hmm. whether he's, he's balancing that with a, uh, a day job. But, uh, yes, I mean, he, he certainly had time when he, he had to go and, you know, join grown up land mm-hmm. and, and get a job after he, after he graduated. But no, no actual time off from, yeah. from competing. It's so it's, a long overdue win. Yep. Yeah. yeah. Why doesn't he win? Can we get him to fence Avila again? Because that was just... <laughs> <That's> the <laughs> ultimate, so, be- so beautiful. Ultimate beautiful fencing. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, there it was. It was a, a good one. Very, mm. uh, very pleased. And as I say, um, all the beautiful fencing from Garrett Meinhardt. Yeah. We, we like it very much. And, we do. Uh, we, we like to see it result in a win. A win like this, yeah. Um, the sort of domination of uh, you know so many Americans, I think perhaps may, maybe make the event a little less exciting. Don't know. What do you feel? Uh, perhaps. I think the final. I felt the final to me did feel a bit like a, a bit of an anticlimax. Yeah, I thought that might be a, um, more of a ding dong battle. I mean, it was. Quick I, I, at least. I was a bit worried when it was going to be race versus Garrick, but then I was thinking about it. Well, they don't come from the same club, so no, they, yeah. they won't have the same history and stuff. So yeah, they, they probably are more capable of producing something more interesting to watch. Whereas if Alex and Garrick have fenced so often, probably best buds or something, then, <laughs> then like it's, it doesn't usually, it's not conducive to excitement. Yeah. It's whoever, whoever's got the, the number of the other one that wins usually, and that's that, unless someone's told someone, you will not fence, you will win, you know? No, I didn't, didn't look like that. No, I didn't look like that, but, but no. Anyway, let's talk about women's foil because that was quite interesting. Women's foil was absolutely immense um i can't wait to talk about women's foil actually because i really enjoyed that too <laughs> yeah so <laughs> i mean we are genuine women's foil fans but generally speaking i would say that at grand prix when there's a men's foil and a women's foil i would be i would be more interested in the in the men's because well i'm a male foilist yep but honestly the the women's foil at, at turin was awesome it was great. No, I really, really enjoyed this. I'm really glad I spent the time aside to sit and watch it. Yeah. Okay, so let's run through our departures uh, from early in the day. Um, out in the 64, Pauline Ronvier of France, uh, Dubrovich and Scruggs of the USA, out in the 32, Nicole Ross of the USA, and Martina Bettini uh, of Italy. Out in the 16, uh, Gianna Kria, Ebert of Germany, Korobankova of Russia, Zagadalina of Russia, and uh, Palumbo of Italy. Uh, so that gives the quarterfinals of uh, Inadair Glasova up against uh, Yuka Ueno. A pretty comfortable 15-7 win for mm-hmm. uh, De Glasova. Uh, Tibus, Tibu, sorry, of France um, against Ariana Arrigo. A uh, hard-fought 15-13 win there for Tibu. Uh, Lee Kiefer 
uh, absolutely thumps Elisa Di Francesca, 15 6. Mm-hmm. And uh, the last of our quarterfinals, uh, Elisa Volpe beating Anastasia Ivanova of Russia, 15 7. So um, apart from the Tibu Erigo scrap, most of them pretty, pretty yeah, straightforward. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so semi final one, Tibu against Derek Lasova. Uh, Tibu's probably got the, the best record of. Anybody against Derek Lozova in, in recent years. Okay. There's just something about her style which seems to give her a, a real good chance. There's a, a combination of technique and a willingness to get involved yeah. in the blade work that uh, well, I felt that she gives looked, her a chance. She's working with Cheruni now, right? Yeah, she is. Her, um, her, her and Race and Bowden both, both working with. Uh, no, I thought, I thought there was a difference in her game this time around. It just felt to me like she was sharper, something different about it. I could put my finger on it. I was watching it. There's something about the game. But uh, I just really... Do you want to just give us... Deploy the news, Sean, just see what happened? Okay, we well... Talk, we yeah, can talk I'll, a little bit about that. And I just thought that Stevie looked really great. It's basically what I'm, what I'm getting to. Yeah, I mean, she takes a, an early lead with a mixture of attack and defence, hitting, hitting with attacks, hitting with the, hitting with the riposte, um, making Derek Zola miss occasionally and goes, goes for one up. Uh, Derek Zola... Fights her way back into levels at six apiece, and uh, so it's real high intensity stuff. It's it's yeah. more like a men's foil match in terms of its pace and the, uh, you know how there's, there's no hanging about. There's no, no. there's a lot of action, um, in a thoroughly positive, determined way rather than a sort of women's mm-hmm. epi. Um, a lot of moving around. Yeah, and T is ahead again to go nine six up at the first break, and I mean both fences are are. Willing to get involved and, you know, trading blade work and footwork and it's all action stuff. Yeah. Really, really enjoyable. Um, Tiba having some success with their attacks and, um, hit a lot with seats repost. It hit, you know, high, high handed. Yeah, definitely. Uh, and, and driving straight through with the post, probably ter- powerful mm-hmm. stuff against Derek Lozova. Um, looks like something that I couldn't decide whether. It was just uh, not not good fortune, the right word, but it looked a very deliberate ploy. Yeah, that uh, I can drive through here with the with the seats repost, which is not that easy to do. No, and I, I, that's what I mean. There was just something about our game. There was that certainty that was just I can't put my finger on exactly what it was, but it yeah. felt like there was a difference in our game that she was a much improved fencer. Less, there's a real sharpness on her on her acceleration, her tense, sort of rhythm of the footwork yeah. was was really uh, precise, and it finishes. Properly hard and fast, and catching Derek mm-hmm. Lozova in a way that you don't you don't see very often. Yeah. And while well, Tibu's always been, uh, you know, a, w- a willing attacker, mm-hmm. it, it's rarely had the same sort of precision that, no, that it had definitely. here. And she looked she looked properly in control of things. I mean, when we see Derek Lozova lose fights, mm-hmm. it does always feel like it's a fight that she's lost o- almost always. Yeah, she's either not quite been able to work out what's going on or mm-hmm. something weird or awkward has been going on or there's a bad refereeing decision or somebody goes on a kind of almost lucky run of hits or, you know, briefly finds a, an answer. But this was a, a, a genuinely dominant performance from Tibu. She looked in command of oh, the fight all definitely. the way through mm-hmm. and eventually runs at a, a 15-10 win. Yeah. Uh, I think it is the best that I've ever seen her fence. Yeah, it was, it was great. Really, really great. Immense. Absolutely mm-hmm. immense. Um, so, yeah, great, great fight. Great mm-hmm. first semi-final. On to the second one. <laughs> well, you think, oh, well, almost anything's going to be a disappointment after that first, yeah. but uh, no, not the case. Uh, Kiefer against Volpe. 
again, this is one where there's we've got contrasting styles. Volpe looking to mm. looking for control, effectively. Yeah, definitely. Make things slow, keep the distance long. Use our uh, use our height. Be prepared to press slow and controlled. Looking for the timing to finish and aim for oh, the yeah, open target. Kiefer looking to disrupt, looking to break things up, yeah. looking to change the distance, keep the keep the pace high, uh, and find a way to to try and to try and get into mm-hmm. range. Um, and Volpe immediately has the upper hand. She's in control of things, and Kiefer, well. Misses with a couple of reports and, and suddenly she's you know she's five nothing down in, in very little yeah, time like, at all. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, Volpe looks totally dominant and stretches that lead out to to eight eight two at the first break. Mm-hmm. It felt to me like um, Volpe was Kiefer. Kiefer's a hard worker, never stops. Mm-hmm. She's always moving in and out of distance. She's always disrupting. you. There's always some, but Volpe wasn't having any of that. She yeah. was just. So if Kiefer so much as uh, Volpe was doing something very definite, yeah, and it was actually Kiefer being disrupted, if you know what I mean. As a result, she just could not get her head around that at all at first. Yeah, yeah, and no, I was it was dominant stuff from Volpe, but then Kiefer off to off to a fast start in the second period, attacks and counter post, so you know pushing much harder, mm-hmm. finding a sort of different uh, different rhythm in her preparation. Yeah. So it was much harder to pick up what was. Uh, what was coming next mm-hmm. so that it could draw the stop hit or draw the parry repost out of Opie but still be balanced enough that she yep, could yep. hit with the counter repost mm-hmm. or it would allow Kiefer to get close enough that she could she could land with the attack so um, a bit of a change in the rhythm of things and a bit more um, attacking intent mm-hmm. uh, from Kiefer and um, suddenly she's she's right back in the fight at, at, at nine apiece <laughs> and uh, you know that, that didn't look possible just a you know couple of minutes before um and then and then goes ahead, a couple of direct posts, and having having drawn Volpe's attack out, and and goes on on to lead twelve twelve ten, you know the the whole fight's just flipped in its head in a couple of minutes. Yeah, it was, uh, and considering how dominant Volpe was, it was kind of one of those blinking. Wait a minute. Yeah, what's, yeah. what's going on? Here? This is not the same fight I was watching. Yeah, just yeah. A, just a, cu- a couple of minutes ago, um, but then it's all it's all back and forward from that point. So Volpe levels at twelve apiece. Kiefer goes up again uh, with a with a septim repost um, on the back line to go thirteen twelve up. I mean, Volpe now looks like she's a, sort of been dragged into a fight that she you know she wants no part of. It's become mm-hmm. properly scrappy, short distance. It's it's lost all of the sort of control and poise that she yeah. had at the start of the fight, and she, she's starting to rush her attacks. You know, the footwork becomes untidy, and it's um, well, it had that air of frustration about it, like. Like I, I shouldn't be in this situation. Yeah, this fight should be over now, and I should have won really comfortably. Yeah. And here I am having a scrap with this um, irritating mosquito of a fencer. Yeah. It's, <laughs> it's uh, just making my life so miserable at the moment. But, but I mean, she sticks with it. I mean, uh, we we get to we get to fourteen all, and really the final hit kind of sums it up how how Kiefer turned it around. It's a, it's a another scrappy close quarter hit, mm-hmm. and um, and. Kiefer hit makes a hit from from Prem, which he's scored quite a quite yeah, a lot from yeah. in that short short distance to take the win fifteen fourteen. And it was another another fantastic fight, two two absolutely brilliant semi finals and um, showcasing all the all the very best of women's foil. Oh, it was quality! And I really enjoyed absolutely. it. Absolutely, really, really I enjoyed absolutely it. loved it. On to the final, yeah. 
no anticlimax here, another absolute yeah, yeah. cracker. It was just mm-hmm. just brilliant stuff. I mean, to get three totally high quality thrilling fights in any weapon is it's pretty rare. You know, you you it's <laughs> always one. You can usually expect the one, yeah. one's going to be a bit of a duffer, but it didn't well, happen. Well, 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 quite often. Um it's like if the semi-finals are good, the, the finals have a bit of a letdown as a mm. result because both fences are usually knackered. Yeah, but, uh, but yeah. no, no, no. Yeah. no the, the, these two uh, totally up, you know, couple of proper yeah. proper warriors. Yeah, Tibu uh, Tibu sort of setting the rhythm of things mm-hmm. early, um, and again, Kiefer finds herself a few hits down um, for for nothing up. Um, Kiefer decides to apply. Bit more pressure, um, and scores a first hit at, at close quarters, and that's going to be a, a productive area for her in this fight. Yeah, um, she looks much much more comfortable when when the fencing gets gets close in. T was still being a, a, aggressive, uh, but patient and finishing his. So she would push and push and push, find mm-hmm. the blade, drag Kiefer to the back of the piece, and then be really controlled about where she places her point. That's right. And, yeah. Um, for all the uh, all the pressing and all the frantic defence from from Kiefer, really controlled and actually where mm-hmm. where she made the hit, which was you know again that was kind of her her strength in the early part of the the fight, and you know she she looked to be handling the sort of a occasional Kiefer attack pretty well, hit with some nice parry reposts, keeping that distance a bit longer, mm-hmm. uh, and goes nine five up. Um, after after a couple of minutes, so again, it's that sort of high pace stuff. Towards the end of the period, Kiefer hits with a point in line uh, to make it ten six, and that it was a weird one because it seemed to really infuriate uh, Tibus. I mean, she calls for the calls for the video. Review. I was like, why are you go for the video review in this one? <laughs> yeah, yeah, it didn't seem that doubtful. Yeah, didn't seem doubtful. Well, that was one that was was horribly called by uh, Bruce Dickinson. I recall. Yeah, um, yeah. So so the hit stands. And it's and it's ten seven at the break. Mm-hmm. Well, really, up to that point, Tibo looked well into control of the thing. But that that little phrase, a little phase at the end yeah. of, of that period, that that point in line hit that Kiefer scores, and then the next one, I think it was a parry repost uh, to get it back to within within three hits. It looks like it kind of broken the spell a little bit. Um, but uh, starting the second period. Kiefer, Kiefer even more active in defence. I mean, far more sort of threshing type of uh, yeah, uh, sort of my heart Alice type uh, defence. Um, but even that's not not upsetting. He was controlling the attack. He stretches her leads out. So still landing with them, still finding a way through, finding the open target, and stretches lead out to uh, to thirteen eight and, and looking in control of things. Uh, so Kiefer time to press again. Mm-hmm. Changing the rhythm on the, the attack, much the same way that she did in the um, in her semi final win, um, looking for a, a slightly different way to set the hit up and the with her, with her preparation, um, and and again hit, hitting with a mixture of attacks and counter reposts that she yeah. find find that sort of um, change in her, her her rhythm and the footwork that yeah, that, that produces a different response yeah, yeah, yeah. to something unfamiliar uh-huh. um, and and drags it back to thirteen eleven down. Tiba tries to tries to retake the initiative. And loses control of our footwork a little bit here, mm-hmm. and and Kiefer hits her with a counter attack. So, you know, we're down to down to a, a single point in it now, um, and then levels, levels at thirteen apiece, and it's mm-hmm. it's anyone's game. And then Kiefer Kiefer finally takes the lead. It's another 
uh, another repost from from Prem, another yep. Kent repost. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Gets a repost. He's in the leads. You know, he's I mean, it's like I can't imagine fencing someone like Kiefer. Just looks like it'd be exhausting on every <laughs> level, mentally, <laughs> physically. Yeah, everything yeah. about it is just exhausting. You know, it's if you win. I, I remember I've been a bit of a fan of Kiefer, and I kind of cursed mm, her as yeah, a result. But, yeah. but um, that way that she fences, that high intensity disrupting aggressive style she's got I really love it yeah. and again I just oh, win more often that's the, yeah. that, that, that's the thing yeah it has been a little while but I mean she's been on a real consistent run a lot of medals in the last yeah last little while so anyway back to, back to action so we're level at 13 apiece Tila then launches another beautifully accelerating step lunge to level at 14-0 so 50-50 flip a coin 50-50 go for simultaneous attack uh, one light yep Keep from misses at 14 yeah. And uh, yeah. that's the win for Tibu. A slightly yeah. anticlimactic end, but clear cut. Yeah. At least we know we've we've not we're not got any sort of well, you have a compulsory video review mm-hmm. at, at 14 0 yeah. But uh, you know, they're already shaking hands by that yeah. by that time. And uh Tibu takes the win in a, an absolutely fantastic women's foil Grand Prix. Absolutely. Yeah. It, was, it was good. Absolutely I loved really it. Really enjoyed it. But as I say, Good to see Kiefer back up there at the top, from my perspective, mm-hmm. seeing her again. Uh, but I just loved the way that, that, that Tebow was fencing. It was just tremendous. Yeah, it was glorious stuff. It was something, I'm honestly, I couldn't, is it just more definite, more aggressive? It's just something about her. Okay, the game looks better now. And I don't know what it is. I could put my finger on it. I'm watching it going, something different going on mm-hmm. here. Um, so yeah, exciting times for her, I think. I hope I'm right. We haven't cursed yeah. <laughs> God. Never, yeah. never surprise anybody too much these days, just in case... Uh, well, it's mostly you that's done it, to be honest, Alex. Uh, I have, I have I the suppose. curse. I do have yeah. the curse of the, <laughs> the, the commentator's curse. I can point the finger and destroy someone from uh, another continent. Yeah. Yeah. But so that was that was Turin. It was... Uh, it was good. Yeah, men's foil good. Mm-hmm. Maybe a little too many Americans in the later stages to make Maybe. it genuinely exciting. And not that many really close matches in the later stages. Women's foil, though. <clears throat> Absolutely fantastic. We loved it. Did you see the crowd look quite good as well? I don't know if it's just me because there was a bit where the, the camera panned back around the crowd and it looked like a half decent crowd. All oh, right, I didn't notice that actually. Um, I mean, it's obviously a huge. I don't know why they put it. It's like enormous. Huge. Yeah, yeah. So it always will look empty. There's nothing you can do about that. But the bit where everybody was sitting looked like it had a, a decent sized crowd. In Fairly it. densely packed. Mm, yeah, that's good. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, so that was true. Another, yeah. another Excellent. good. Should we just quickly wrap up on the, the rest of our topics? Yeah, yeah, a couple of bits. Um, Film about fencing coming out. I don't really know anything about this new one called Fencer. Yeah, it seems to be imaginatively titled. Yeah, I don't. I'm not sold on the title. It's got. I'm sure that can be changed though. Zoe Zoe Saldana signed up for it. Yeah. Um, it seems to be the life and times of the the writer of it's the writer and the producer of the film, which always fills me with a little bit of dread because it feels like a vanity project. Yeah, maybe. And uh, this is and she's actually the fencer in question. It's about her struggle in onto the team and. The sort of the, you know, to be accepted onto the team. It feels a bit like a stop. I don't, I don't know the politics of this particular person, mm. but uh, I do worry a little bit it's a vanity project, but it is interesting that it's Olympic fencing and not some sort of weird swashbuckling thing. Yeah. So there's an opportunity here to see some. And I've said a couple of times that I think that fencing would make a good sport for a sports movie. Sports movies have a formula, and I think it, the drama's there for it, just nobody's tried it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it should have the potential, and it's never quite... Worked out. I mean, the sort of <clears throat> sort of semi-historical one with the fencer, um, yep, was was interesting as a sort of political tale. Mm-hmm. And the fencing parts were quite nicely done and so on. But 
And there's the one about the Hungarians, uh, which I can't remember what it's called now. Sunshine, I think it's called. Uh, about the Hungarian in the who get get persecuted by the Nazis. Oh, it's actually got some really good. It's got some really good fencing scenes in it, but it's hardly modern. You know what I mean? It's, uh-huh. it's a period drama, really. Yeah. Um, so it's interesting to me that there's, that someone's willing to give us a go. So I really hope it, we actually see it. I mean, it's early days, basically, but yeah. it's interesting. That it's making the news, uh, and it looks like it's got an interesting sort of person attached to it. So yeah, I thought it was an interesting bit of news to come across. Yeah, yeah. We'll look forward to it with uh, beaky breath. Mm-hmm. And um, the other thing that <clears throat> cropped up. Uh, recently, that you know, I was pointed out, didn't didn't spot it at the time on on Reddit. Recent Bowden on doing a uh, an Ask Me Anything yeah. and some real interesting stuff there. I've uh, I've actually sent it to my fences to read. Yeah, because I was like, oh, there's some there's some juicy stuff that you have to read there. For if you want to be a good fencer, there's some real insight into that one. And then there's gossip, which I just love. <laughs> yeah, it was. Um, I mean, it's not something that crops up very often, and I, I think. I think Reese is probably pretty much the first one to have gone on to the, the fencing subreddit and uh, yeah, put themselves up for a uh, and ask me anything. It was really interesting. If, uh, yeah. I've, never, I've never actually sat through one of these things live because it's a lot no. of ask, ask me anything. Quick, like, and his answers were pretty long, so he must have been bashing away his keyboard. Yeah, uh, yeah. But the interesting one is is the coaching relationships. Definitely read that one. Yep, yep. And he came up with a really good description of the the difference between. Soviet style coaching and, and Italian yeah. style coaching, which a pretty fair and accurate one, and you can see the, the strengths. I mean, he do, he doesn't discount Soviet style coaching, which is what he no. had for most of his career until he switched to to working with Stefano Cerioni recently. But it was yeah, I thought it was a, a real good description there, which yeah, you know, is, is well put as I've seen anybody do. And so also, far. I, for my, for me, it was a bit of an insight that maybe Cerioni's coaching personality <clears> is different to his. Public persona, if you know what I mean. Well, hmm. what would you describe his uh, public persona as? Public persona would be, let's, let's just say he's got a difficult reputation, but the sort of the glowing terms that Race was talking about him, and it's not just because he's his current coach, but uh, but the things he was saying were, were quite, I thought it was, it, was, it was genuinely an insight. It's the same as when we, we all, <coughs> you get that, we were talking about how, how much I admire Aubrey, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and everyone seems to love him. And it hadn't it never really occurred to me that maybe he's a quite a demanding coach, and when you don't meet his standards, he can be, you know, obviously quite pretty angry guy. Yeah. It never occurred to me, but obviously, obviously is. But the thing about these sorts of coaches is they are passionately involved in the sport and they are yeah. passionately involved in their fences. And like with Obi, I've got this great picture of him hoisting up Lin Cheng. Yeah, and it's like you know, clearly, you know. He's there for you. You know what I mean? He's there for you thick and thin. Yeah, kind of so, lives, lives every moment of it. Yeah, and, and that's the sort of sense I was getting with the Cherioni comments. It's a similar yeah. sort of thing where maybe maybe this public difficult persona that he's got is hiding a, a sort of richer, more complex person underneath it. Anyway, so he's actually much warmer and cuddlier than we'd given him credit. Oh, I never said that. <laughs> I'm, I'm pretty sure Cherioni's wearing steel toe caps. You know, don't hug. I don't, I don't think it's, Not a Stefan doesn't strike me as a hugger. You know what no. I mean? Ah, you're probably right. Yeah. Yeah, but it was really interesting. So we'll, we'll certainly post the. Uh, the link to that in the show notes well worth a well worth a read I would say mm-hmm. yeah um, so it is properly manic time in the season uh, Olympic qualifying yeah nearing its conclusion really only about a month and a half left of it to go yeah. and a ton of stuff happening between mm-hmm. then and who we find out who our uh, all our qualifiers are for the Olympics before we get to the the various 
Zone Olympic qualifiers mm-hmm. as well, which happened in April. So what we'll be covering in the next episode, uh, we'll be having some women's foil from uh, Kazan, mm-hmm. uh, men's foil from Cairo, mm-hmm. and uh, a bit of men's sabre from Warsaw. So no AP. Well, we've just had a ton of epi. I think, I think even I want a it's break. Peak. Yeah. Just want a break now. <laughs> Go to our system for a while. Yeah, exactly. Uh, is, uh, is, is so, the worst, so, any of these Grand Prix? Uh, no. They're not, are they? Is Cairo not a Grand Prix? No. Anyway, it's fine. Well, a couple okay. of weeks after that, for the foilists, we've got um, Anaheim Grand Prix. Oh, of course. Right. That makes sense then. Yep. Which will be the... So, uh, both, both Kazan and uh, Cairo are the final World Cups for mm-hmm. foil. Um, so we'll know who are, which teams have qualified yep. after after those okay. events. So that'll be that'll be interesting to see. Right, let's do uh, coolest fencer on the planet. Mm. Uh, so we've got we've who's got a few contenders. Who's contenders, yeah. contenders? Well, from the world of Epi, I'm going to go for Baz uh, for showing us the way against Bida. <laughs> uh, I think. It's good. So it's nice to see, but I mean, yes, he's, he's had a, having a bit of a resurgence right now and he's had some good results recently. But again, I think just because I think a few people must be asking, what is it you do against Bida? Because he seems a little bit unbeatable at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, so there you go. That's my, that's my one from Men's Epi. Okay. I suppose the other option you could go for, um, from the Epi world would be the, the return of the Korean All Stars as well. True. Side. Finally pulling the trigger and winning the tournament is quite, yeah. quite interesting as well. And he didn't didn't really struggle. So um, yeah, I, I know we don't pick teams very often because I, I usually usually it's for something really tremendous. It doesn't feel tremendous enough, other than the fact they've actually won something. It's just, it's just about time. Yeah, exactly. Okay, um, I suppose on I might almost feel the same about nominating Garrett Meinhardt. All beautiful fencing. He's finally he's finally done what we asked and won. Yep. Pull the trigger, Garrick. Yes, finally done yeah. it. Done it, and it was it was immense. He did mm. look he did look as good as he always does, and ends up with a gold medal for it as well. Yeah. So that was pretty impressive. Mm-hmm. But I think well, we had a little bit of chat about this, and mm-hmm. uh, Tibu was certainly certainly would be my vote. So immense. Yeah. Look, I. I, I like just such a good fencer. I mean, it's just such a, a brilliant performance in Turin that I think that's pretty cool. <laughs> it was pretty cool. I mean, a convincing win against Eric Lozova. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, a commanding, yeah, commanding, commanding performance, win. and then a brilliant final against mm-hmm. uh, against Lee Kiefer. I mean, yeah. oh, Kiefer as well. I mean, if she'd won, I'd been just as happy to True. nominate her. Um, True. After our big comebacks in both the the semi final and. Almost getting it done in the final as true. well. Uh, this is all, this is all true. I think. Stuff. I think if I think if she'd won, we would probably go for her. Yeah, but it didn't work out that way, so it's going to be Tibu. So Tibu takes the win. Yeah. Um, if that's if that's your preference, I'm more than happy to go with that. I'm going for I'm going for Tibu. See, so look okay. at me. I, I can do foil as well. Look at that. Yeah. <laughs> well done. That wasn't grudged at all. Yeah. But oh, to be fair, I I did watch. A, a, d- a decent bit of epi, mm-hmm. so I feel that I've earned the uh, foilist winning coolest fencer on the planet again. I'm not trying to unduly influence things here, but you know, I'm, I don't. I just didn't, I didn't feel there was anything in Barcelona that really that, that I felt was cool enough. If you know what I mean, it was yeah. nice seeing this, the French girl. That that was quite interesting, but you know, she didn't win, and it wasn't it wasn't it wasn't impressive enough. If you know what I mean. Uh-huh. Whereas this is. I mean, I've just been sitting here waxing about how great 
Etibo Luke, she's like going, oh, is this the Cherioni magic appearing? Yeah. You know, just like quality. Yeah. So, so, so that's what it is. Working yeah. with Cherioni not only makes you win, it makes you cool as well. It makes you cool as well. <laughs> there you go. Well, there we are. Yeah. So coolest fencer on the planet is our Etibo. Don't forget to follow us on all the social medias. We're on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And yeah. uh, if you have something interesting informative or entertaining or what was the other commentator quality I was looking for I can't remember now um, professional uh, <laughs> actually, was actually no give me some gossip I, I oh, professional yeah. gossip's always good and, and if you've got some gossip that's always good as well so drop us an email if you like yeah. uh, at thefencingpodcast at gmail.com uh, I think that is us that's done awesome. until yeah. next time we'll speak to you again soon yeah.